1: And hello, welcome along. It's Midweight Motorsport, it's a Wednesday night and it is Series 16 and remarkably we've arrived at episode 32, which I'm not sure how we got here, quite frankly, but we seem to have. This is the eighth show Le-
2: after Le Mans.
1: Yes, exactly, but it's not. This is the one before Le Mans. Mm. So, a couple of things before we even get in. That was Tim... Uh, Grey up in London, by the way. Here I will ask the important question of in uh, just a moment. However, let's start as we mean to go on here. Next week, it's midday motorsport, French time. So that's midday cent- Central European time, 11 o'clock in the UK. Repeat, repeat and up on the archive as quickly as possible after that. Okay? Okay. So that's next week. The week after, there is no midweek motorsport. We all lie down in a darkened room, being dripped on by warm halibut oil, and just go erg a lot. That is the week after. So this is the last, quote-unquote, normal. Even as I said that, I realised that people are sniggering at the back. This is the last, quote-unquote, normal midweek motorsport for three weeks. And then we'll come back the week after that. ...at our regular time, OK? So, midday Le Mans time next week... ...as part of Haggerty Radio Le Mans... ...which starts this Sunday... ...and then nothing the weekend... Uh, ...the week after, rather, OK? Write that down, I'll be asking questions later. Up in London, our executive producer is Tim Gray. Good evening, Tim.
2: Hey, Good evening, John.
1: And on a packed programme tonight, Tim, we have what?
2: Uh, we have all the usual features... Uh, we have a big interview that we told you about last week. Yes. Um, we've got another interview coming up in the second hour, which we didn't tell you about last week. Uh, we'll have some IndyCar uh, news. Uh, we have a preview of the next round of WRC.
1: Hooray! Hooray! <laughs>
3: Uh, with Ben
1: Constantiris on his way to Rally Ypres.
2: And it's not very far. And uh, we have uh, Shay Adam driving. joining us as well as Nick Damon, yes. who you heard there
1: on the Hot Gig. Um, hello to everybody in the northeast of England, um, listening to us as the only broadcaster live in the northeast at the moment because Billsdale transmitter has burned out, says Simon Hall.
2: Burned down. Why?
1: It's burned down, has it?
2: Yes.
0: Oh,
1: wow. That was where I used to get my... It was Top Pike and Billsdale when I was up there. I'm a bit yeah, of an Pontop aficionado. Pike's rather
2: further to the north.
1: Yeah, I'm a bit of an aficionado of, of broadcast sites, which I know is very sad. There's a
2: 300-metre exclusion zone around it because they don't know which way it'll topple. Oh,
1: uh, really? It's that bad? Yes. So no TV and radio in the north. Ah, that, that accounts for why I could listen... To the glorious Carabao Cup victory last night on Radio Newcastle on the web because they weren't actually broadcasting on the FM for most of the northeast.
2: Right, uh, they probably weren't broadcasting to any of the northeast uh, apart from on DAB. Excellent.
1: Right, excellent. Hello, to the Sim Racing Bar, Studios listening live again tonight, and delighted that, that David Brabham liked one of his shots of the BT62 at Alton Park. Uh, hello to also to Right Turn Lover catching up on the podcast. Mail is next week live for Midday Motorsport. See, he's up on it. Tentative AFAs. Tentative AFAs for back-to-back maintenance, but I should be done by 3 Eastern looking forward to the show. Is so that a tentative or apology
2: question. or a tentative absence? I think because it's it a It should be AFTA absence. if it's apologies for tentative absence.
1: I, I think it was a tentative um, absence. Yeah, I think you're right. So that's here. he's got there. Well, it really should have been a A-F-T-A.
2: A-F-T-A. A-F-T-A. Hmm.
1: Yes. Come on. TAFA
2: is not something we'd really accept.
1: Tougher. Um, Hello to Carol Brink who says Mountain lions and bears, welcome. Um, another mountain lion captured around Monterey, but I did suggest earlier on that it might solve her deer problem. Then again, so with a 2 2, which surely can't be sat that hard in Monterey. Uh, Jesse is uh, is uh, in tonight, listening in. Hello, Rob Chalmers, sort of EFS. Hang on a second. We've had tentative EFS, now sort of EFS. What is going on, Collective? Again, I presume he
2: means uh, A-F-S-O-A.
1: Yes, exactly. Thank you, Tim. So he's dipping in and out of the shore as he's taxiing the kids around, and he's cooking various meals for Fussy Daughter and his better half. Rob, it's Wednesday. Come on. Uh, Christopher Tipper listening live. Um, I'm so hyped for on uh Duke videos. I'm, I've downloaded them. Really looking forward to the race this year and the future with LMDH. We're well, going to have to wait a little while for LMDH. But yes, understand. No airfares for Entropy nebula, nebula. Listening in while wallowing in post-Olympic blues and waiting for de- some decent motorsport to pe- pick me up. Listening live again, says Stephen Lloyd. Can we have a shout out for the MX5 Olympic race? I tell you, I still think that's a, I think that's a contender. I really do. When we were doing the MX, the to MX5, I presented by BF Goodrich tyres at the weekend. Alexander Ork with No AFA's glorious meal tonight, of steak and chips with Freya. Looking forward to all the usual features and some contentious chat, and there may be some impending shush shortly too. Oh, that means he's got something top secret on the go. Otter FR EFAs, coffee with wife and cats in garden, listening on the podcast for an update on the main event of the weekend, that being of course the responsible adult watching be and western music at Nashville there were both kinds uh, listening live Kevin Payne tonight, looks like a great show before the mom week starts on Sunday oh by the way tonight, Tim can we replay the two preview shows after us tonight please, a couple of people have asked for that
2: well, you're suggesting that people have not already downloaded and listened to them, or didn't listen to well, them live? Well, some what have they have been note. doing?
1: I I know, I know. But we live to serve, so can we put them on in order tonight? One, then two.
2: Well, we'll put them on in an order, but of course they are orderless. You can listen to well, either of are. them first, or either of them second. That's Choose your own preference. If you prefer GTS, you might want to listen to the GTS first. If you think GTs uh, are too roofy, then go for the prototypes first. Although too most roofing. of them have got They're roofs all now as well. Yeah, all
1: of them have roofs now. Yes. Uh, Chris Suka says, evening, are all listening. To the, looking forward to the show this evening, having a light dinner, warm chorizo salad wrap, followed by a chocolate ice cream. Ice cream uh, anticipation of Le Mans chat. Well, that'll be a lot of that next week. There's loads of special programmes that, uh, next week from right across the RSL family. Blue Fiends. Listening live from the Porsche workshop. What are you working on today, Blue? Matt and Dean, AFA, saving the podcast for the drive down to Goodwood on Friday to help with setup, up, managing stage turnarounds and changes at the stage rally there on Saturday. Ah, oh, I, I wish I'd realised that. I've already put myself on Saturday now for something a little closer to home. Victor Ellis on my way to pick up Birthday Girl and Matt Campbell, 22, fan, Victoria Ellis, for a dinner out at the baseball game. With her three sisters before the oldest heads out to college next week. 17 years old tomorrow. Lock them away. Lock them away for another 10 years, Victor. That's the only thing you can do, really. No AFAs. Though it is bath time, say Doug Amner. Don't do that again to me, Doug. Simon Hoff listening live tonight, as we mentioned earlier. Jake Parrott also uh, preparing for the family beach trip, lamenting that I'll be on an overnight flight in the middle of the 24 hours. (gasps) Oh, my goodness. Uh, No affairs for Dave Monks in the garage, packing for the big one. How is Rolls-Royce, Dave? Hope you're fitting well, sir. Obviously heading over for it, or over to you.
0: All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport.
1: I'll do some more of your tweets on AtSpecUtainment later on. AtSpecUtainment on Twitter, please. Top story tonight... Is there much paper shuffling? I would think not. Are we talking legends here, Tim?
2: I'm just wondering whether that overnight or overnight flight during the 24 hours is one that's got uh, internet access on board, because uh, of course uh, there are some radio streams that he could be listening to.
1: Possibly Haggerty Radio Le Mans at that point. Yes. Just saying. Where can you find that anyway. on the internet? Uh, that that would be on uk on RS1. Or
2: RadioLamont.com, indeed. Or
1: RadioLamont.com, yes, absolutely. Uh, um, we're going to start. Let's story.
2: introduce um, our first guest, uh, Nick Damon. Good He's evening, not a Nick. Guest.
1: He's a contributor. Our first
2: contributor, then.
1: Oh, I, if I'm a guest, I can claim expenses, can't I? Sorry, we seem to have lost Nick there
3: altogether. If he's a contributor, then he's from, talent and he from can claim more to my expenses. Studies. I am not there this time. I've missed out on the meal. Well, <laughs> uh, listen, in honour of
1: you not being here, Thanks. Right, we, we have, in a, in the manner of, of many events this year, we have postponed...
3: Oh, really? You postponed it? Oh, thank you so much.
1: We have postponed the uh, Kermanian dinner of... Lobster with hot well, sauce. Is, well, this is much better
3: than this, this. The whole world is looking up a bit. What did you have, John? We, we we had a
1: we had a very nice uh, um, beetroot uh, grown in the garden, and tahini salad with um, frizzled walnuts, um, which was very nice with some herb oil on it, and some homemade, again from the garden, uh, green bean pakoras, very nice.
2: I didn't we grow, any grow beans green bean today. pakoras.
1: We we actually grew up a chorus in the garden. No we didn't, we grew the green beans. And when I say we, of course, I mean Ave. Anyway, top story.
2: So Nick, you've travelled from your kitchen to your study. How far is that?
3: I, w- I would say half, about seven to ten metres?
1: I would say from your door, yeah, possibly ten steps from the door mm. from the last door of the kitchen. So se- seven
2: metres, let's say that's uh, um Six yards, so no, I think late. you're Eight entitled oh, yeah. to zero uh, pence in mileage for that.
0: Mm.
1: Damn, oh, well. he's wearing out his slippers though. In fairness, wearing
3: slippers. At
0: can least he's we wearing drag ourselves slippers?
1: gently back to actually motorsport and our top story? Just gen- uh, yeah,
2: uh, Valentino Rossi's retired. Got a
1: lot tonight.
3: Let's <laughs> probably do yeah. Rossi Yeah, okay, yeah, so yeah, next, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, all yeah. right,
1: so. Nick, we yes. uh, Valentino Rossi. We had expected something. He crashed the MotoGP website when people realised that he was going to make an announcement. Um, Matt Oxley will be delighted because he's got an autobiography and a, um, and a and a Valentino Rossi every race book coming out in November, and we're going to have him it's on the show in the next couple of weeks.
2: It's a biography, not an autobiography. It's Although Matt Oxley's autobiography yes. might be quite interesting as well.
1: I, w- I would read that. Uh, mm. A biography um, uh, coming out later this year. Um, uh, very few times can you honestly say that an individual transcends a sport. And I'm, I'm not even going to say that for Valentino. But in fairness, Valet defined the sport if he didn't transcend it, surely.
3: Um, I would argue that from about 2003, 2004, up to about 2018, he was the sport. Right. And we had conversations on this show four or five years ago. Mm. Um, with Dex and yourself thinking they are absolutely jiggered when he goes. Well, luckily, because he's had a very long tail to his career. Very good point. Um, they've managed; It's managed to, people got used to watching the races with him, not winning and not, not actually being, you know, being there yeah. and, and rooting for him to come seventh. And we've had a new generation of stars. It's obviously been helped, obviously, at the same time that the the MotoGP that Valet was uh, was in at the start, which was six bikes had a chance to win and that was it. Um, now we have 16 bikes got a chance to win and and mm. you know so it's it's a much more open and interesting sport but I still think he will take a hit I still think he'll take a viewing hit when he goes I still think people will 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 move away but nothing nothing like the uh the numbers that would have happened um prior to that and and also it was it, it was
1: hit. it was a quite extraordinary thing wasn't it for or GP when the Valet effect started it was it was a bit it was a bit like that indeterminate time in British soccer football when everybody started wearing replica kits and nobody can really work out when that was. But mm. Valet was in MotoGP and then everybody at the track, it seemed, at some circuits, was a Valet fan and, and wearing his colours. And, you know, the, the 46 was, was huge and became an icon
3: it was quite it's, extraordinary, wasn't it? Yeah, but it's, it's because, you know, motor racing and motorcycle racing requires a certain level of dedication that tends to mean you don't end up being the most rounded character in the world. And it's that's fine. It's, that's how you need to be. You need to be... I think it's the first time possibly, and I'm I'm thinking, you know, people who actually had it when they were doing it, hmm. and possibly Sterling Moss may have had it a little bit in his day, but, but when you've had someone who's had absolute laser dazzling charisma Mm. as well as being a fantastic exponent of the sport they're involved in yeah and you know there's drivers we like and there's drivers we think are good but how many can you act with james hunt as well who are incredibly charismatic because obviously Mm. charisma is not something you can't buy it you can't learn it you just have it and obviously Rossi also knew how to, to work it as well. And and that period when, you know, he invented the celebrations, which so many other... Yeah, getting off the have, bike, you know, disappearing into a lavatory, coming out yeah, dressed as something all, else. I know they've all, and so many others tried it and they just looked like pale, you know... Imitations. Imitations. Yeah. So it's like we really don't bother boys. It's, e-
1: um, it's easy to forget, Nick, that he straddled two eras because his first <laughs> world championship in 2000 was the 500cc world championship.
3: You know, he, he did the traditional 125, 250, and 500. So he did the whole two-stroke run up the, the ladder, which of course changed at the turn of the century, approximately, and then he suddenly went four-stroke. And of course he won uh, both on the big and the small-engined four-strokes, both 900, uh, the the litres and the 880s. So he, you know, he, he could say he won on five sorts of bikes, say he won on four sorts of bikes. And, you know, he he dominated the opposition in his prime. He, he he by sheer force of personality, you know, he destroyed his juvenile, was a good rider. He had some fantastic battles with Casey Stoner. He, you know, he, he, he just, it, it's, you know, it, it's, you know, Lorenzo just felt being so dull in comparison. His very, very good record has been almost forgotten. You know, he's a five time world champion, was he? Oh, didn't even know he was there. You know, <laughs> yes. it's, you know, it, it, this thing, yeah. You know, Valley was still the biggest draw, even when he wasn't even close to winning. And and, and he's not you know, won, had, he's
1: not won the championship. Let's not forget, since two thousand and nine, no, and yet he had, was still a had, huge
3: draw. And we've had the entire, well, hopefully not the entire. We've had a very large part of the Marquez era, um, which you know is, is currently on hold. But yeah, I mean, I think it. it I, I think it's really difficult to you know underestimate. What he's done for the sport, and I think most of it will still. I think there'll be a, a little bit, of a little bit a down, a down dip, but nothing like it would have been. And you know, he has made MotoGP.
1: Twenty-six seasons, he will have been in Grand Prix in various guises and in various capacities. I mean, cubic capacities in in terms of riding. Um, he, what nine? Yeah, nine world championships. Yep. And he wants to go and race at Le Mans.
3: Seems fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think he's, you know, he's obviously had success in the Gulf 12 hours with his um, his best mates who've been running in the prime class out there. I and mean, one thing I would say, John, I think it's interesting. And it goes back to something I said uh, back in the preview for MotoGP. In, and that is, I believe that MotoGP's problem, which is going to be exacerbated by some news we'll talk about later, is its over propensity of Italian and Spanish riders the interesting thing about valley was valley was stateless which meant that if you didn't have oh, a rider for your country to support you, you had supported valley. valley well i mean, mean well, nick
1: and i live in the same part of the uk roughly speaking in the middle of in in the middle of england and how many suvs minivans all kinds of vehicles do you, i saw i was Behind a, it was um, Bug Jam at Santa Pod a couple of weekends ago. And I, I actually came down to yours, and therefore I was passing a whole load of stuff. The amount of really weird California rat look VW air-cooled cars and vans that had Valle's 46 on it. He just mm-hmm.
3: completely transcended everything, didn't he? Well, it's he was cool he was fun he was successful it's a, it's a, it's a very to- intoxicating combination but yeah i do i do think it's gonna you know i think it will sharp the yeah it's, it's gonna be interesting where the neutrals decide to place their caps and their hats upon, and perhaps they won't so perhaps mm. it, that will be what they'll lose but uh yeah you know point, i think actually. i think we, we, we're very very lucky to to have, to have lived through his pop you know, pomp, even though that is at least five years ago you know you yeah you know, but it's um, he was a you know, fantastic rider, and he you know and just rewrote the rules of what you do and how you ride.
1: I'm just looking at the NSR 500 that he won in the, 20, in the 2001 <laughs> season. Yellow on the top, nastra azuro Repsol on the belly pan at the bottom. You look at that now and you think they raced that. But of course, I do remember them racing. Yeah, you that. look at that
3: now, and that's got 100 horsepower less than what they're racing now. But of course, it was a hair trigger and trying to kill you. <laughs> But other than that, yeah. <laughs> um, right. So if
1: then, if we were saying that five years ago it would have been a big loss, is it less of a loss now for MotoGP? GP? And and who is And is there is there a natural successor or successors with well... Quateraro coming along?
3: Well, the thing is, John, they if we had been sitting in our seventh year of, or eighth year, would have been of Mar- Marquez dominance, they could have been in serious trouble. Mm. um But as it turns out, we have yet another completely open championship after last year's completely open championship with a number of young, up, up, up upwardly mobile riders, a number of guys who are dynamic. Yeah, there's no one like Rossi because there will never no be anyone like Rossi. But there are a number of people you can say, yeah, I like him. Yeah, I like what he's doing. Yeah, he's interesting. He's got a bit of character. Or you could, you know, or otherwise you could like Maverick Vinales you know. Um, you know, but um, yeah. I mean, it's not. It is going to be a, 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 you know, less exciting place without him. Um, but I think that they're lucky they've got an incredibly open championship and open series, and it looks like that's not not going to change. Um, for people to get back into, rather than just a Marquez procession. Mm. Uh,
1: hello to Stephen Gardner. His meeting's ended just in time to. To hear, hear me confuse you. Apologies for attendance. Now uh, he <laughs> says, "Yeah, very good, very good indeed." At uh, At Specutainment, let's have your thoughts about Valentino Rossi. I think, and I said this. Uh, I, I think I said this. No, I did say this in the uh, in the uh, preview, the Haggerty Radio on preview shows. I think he's a shoo-in for Ferrari's um, LMH program, Nick. I really do.
3: I I don't know, I think that's quite a big jump actually would he be Oh, it's really interesting actually because don't you have to be platinum to be in the LMH?
1: No you don't have to well he'd be platinum if he was a factory driver that's what makes Mm -hmm. you platinum. Currently he's bronze obviously. Yeah no wonder I can't get any drives. Um, (laughs) Actually that's not why I'm not getting the drives, I'm just not very
3: well, no, I mean, it's a very good point. I mean, you know, it, it is. You know, it's it's rumoured that when he did his Ferrari tests back in, I think, oh four oh three, he was seven tenths off Schumacher's times. Yeah. You know, first time out, which it That's was more nothing. the fact that it was more the fact that they said he'd need to do a year, if not two years, in GP two that put him off the transfer across. Yeah. Um, so he's very you know, good. I could absolutely see he wants to run in Ferrari and start in... He's, he's think, very whatever. good
1: in cars. He understands <laughs> it. Not all motorcyclists make that, that transition because more contact patches, different racing lines. He's very good in a rally car as well. He doesn't mind the car moving around. I suspect that if Rally Japan gets cancelled, uh, WRC, uh, this year, at the end of the season, we'll have another Monza single-stage Type rally and and round Monza's roads. I would not be surprised to see Valentino in that.
2: To be in honest, what car? Hmm? Uh,
1: good question. I don't think it matters. What's he? What's what's VR forty six signed up to race next year? Because he is going to continue with his race team, uh, Nick. That's the point we should probably. VR
3: forty six, the race team is running Ducatis. Hmm.
1: Uh, in which case uh, there's not an Audi, is there? Skoda? Yes, possibly. He could maybe think, run a WRC2 car. I think,
3: he'd be, I think he'd be free to run whatever he wanted, to be honest. I'm <laughs> pretty sure there's no contractual thing stopping him doing what he wants to do.
1: I don't think Ferrari have a rally car right now.
3: Well, just take, you get a Ferrari, a Ferrari and just take it off, Right then it's a rally car, you know.
1: <laughs> yes, they have not yet succumbed to the SUV thing. It's
3: coming, isn't it? Uh,
1: Coming in the year, I think. Don't don't, don't. really. Oh, god. Okay, Uh, Nick Damon talking about Valentino Rossi. Um, there will be more on Rossi because obviously we need to take a deep, deep look um, at Rossi's career and his legacy. As I said, we've got Matt Oxley from, um, who's a well, firstly, very good motorcycle rider, um, esteemed motorbike journalist, and his columns in um, uh, in um, motorsport magazine are unmissable. Um, he'll be will be with us in the next few weeks. Um, we tried to get him on tonight, but as you might imagine, he's a bit busy at the mm. moment. But we'll we'll get him on in the, the next few weeks and and have a chat about the book that's coming out as well, which I suspect will be um, sold out at the moment. It Happens,
3: uh, he's in a middle of a 20... long
2: journey as well at the moment, travelling from he... Styria to Austria. For uh... uh,
3: yes, that's a good point. Oh, gosh, it's, that's a nightmare. journey. Just is. before we leave, motorcycle,
1: we're not um, leaving
2: motorcycles.
1: Well, just well, okay, before we leave, Rossi says Matthew Hindman, uh, at, on aspect, determined is it worth considering what happened to W, um, World Superbike? Um, possibly. Let me try and do this with my teeth in and in English. Yes. No. Mm. He said, um, Is it worth considering what happened to Superbike popularity in the UK after James Torsland even left for MotoGP without a strong Brit to to cheer on after years with Foggy uh, Hodgson and then James Torsland? And the series has not been that popular again in the UK since. That comes back to what you were saying about Valet obviously being very Italian, but also at the same time almost being stateless. Nick, he's, he's, yeah. he's everybody, even if you've got a favourite rider, isn't Valet everybody's second favourite rider at the very least?
3: Yeah, I do. And going back to Matthew, that I'd be very happy to discuss um, why World Superbike ebbed in popularity and there are two or three other reasons outside the state, one of which is that Dawn had deliberately wanted to down for tend, a while, slightly squashed below. Yeah. And secondly, um, the major reason was the really ridiculous idea to go onto a, a, a Pirelli tire, which eliminated the locals being able to run as wildcards. As
1: wild cards, that's a very good Cause point. Because that
3: was, if you actually went to those massive 120,000 attended uh, events. You got to see all the British Superbike guys there, and in yes. Germany, all the German Superbike yeah, guys a very good point. there, Italy, all the Italian Superbike guys there. Mm. So you lost that natural pull through of the, you know the good crowds that those local events all get, you know. Mm. Um, so yes, but yes, the, the, I, I know you say you want to have a, a Brit. You know, we've, we, we've had the last six years, we had a, a, a Brit at the top, and it's, you know, it's, it, yeah, it hasn't pushed its way through. But that's in many ways, you know, there's been other reasons for it. But that is the reason World Superbikes. Because at one point, World Superbikes was very, very close to MotoGP. There was not a lot in it about what was most popular. Well, the, the, um, well it was like the English. It was like the English-speaking world had World Superbikes, and the Latin-speaking world had um, MotoGP. Had G P. That's very true. I it went to is. both.
1: I, I went to both uh, in the Fogarty years in the UK on my motorcycles of uh, various so things. And we were we've worked out we were at the same races sometimes when we didn't know each See, other
3: from and, my and, from and my by, memory. It was 120,000 and, at Brands and yeah. 30,000 at Silverstone. Yes,
1: exactly right. I went to Donington as well because that was a bit closer for me, living up in the northeast. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you, if you ask people of a certain age to name a motorcycle racer, what percentage Barry do you Sheen. think would be. Ah, that's, that's here in Britain. But <laughs> out, outside of the UK and, and people, you know, know, half our age, would they say Rossi? Yeah, of course they would. Of course they would. Right.
4: Okay.
2: I don't. uh, Am I being unfair? But I don't think you can put James Toesland in the same bracket as Carl Fogarty?
1: No, 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 but that's not what. I don't think that's what. um,
3: It it was a run, wasn't it? It was a run, yeah. uh, That's what Matthew was saying. Yeah. And then you had a gap when. Well, Silver Gintoni won it, and he actually lives in the UK. He's more British than most British people, but. That's um,
1: right. uh, But he's he's brilliant. He does talk now with a comedy French accent with English idiom. Which is absolutely.
3: hilarious. All, I love watching it. We always need people who can take over our Lolo low parts.
1: Uh, he uh, he also can still ride a bike very well because he's been doing a lot of work for our coverage in the UK on BT Sport where he's been riding a road bike round the tracks and he's been absolutely... Thrashing. He's a, he's still a Suzuki ambassador, isn't he? So he's been thrashing various Suzukis with loads of GoPro's on. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. That's the first half hour. Your thoughts on on Valentino Rossi? Where next? Ferrari at Le Mans? Would you bet about it?
3: Would you bet against it? Possibly. Sure. Possibly. Sure. I don't. I don't think in hypercar. I think in uh, possibly even GTM because he could he could he could completely um, qualify.
1: Ooh, now there's a thought.
3: All right, uh, I'd expect your team
1: and, Uh pick up on that. Tim, where to next?
0: <laughs> Atomic batteries
1: to power. we should Oh, John No, it's, it's
0: not John
2: Come on, we're talking about MotoGP GP here, John.
1: Fireball XL5. Oh my goodness, I'd forgotten all about I had Fireball XL5. It's a little model when Did I was you? tiny wee. Fireball XL5. Different sort of fireball. Was that at, Jerry uh, Anderson, it, was it was Jerry Anderson, yes. Oh brilliant. Different
2: type of fireball than stereo. Nick.
3: Oh yes. At the oh, wicket. Two laps in. Um Danny Pedroza fell off his bike about nine miles an hour as he, as he kind of looped it at the slowest point coming out of turn three. And um, and, and he was lying on the ground. And it, it's described as given the choice between hitting Pedroza or uh, the bike, uh, Lorenzo Salvadori decided to hit the bike. and In doing so, split the tank and split his ankle as well, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and we had a massive conflagration. Luckily, um, no one was actually, well, so unfortunately for, for Salvadori, was was it hurt. Uh, Pedroza wasn't hurt and was able to make the restart on the second bike. And they had a, what a half hour delay, forty minute delay, um, and, they, and the track wasn't damaged either. So, uh, yeah. But another thing about people they people are getting very uneasy about um, the Red Bull Ring and motorcycles, aren't they? They're not very happy with it as a track. I don't know why. It, just, it does seem to, to cause a lot of problems. I, think... I don't
2: think they'll be back there in a the hurry, will they, Nick?
1: Well, well, uh, well, other than this weekend. Oh,
2: this weekend, yes, that's right. <laughs>
3: Very good. See what you did there. It's obviously a plus point, but you know, it does seem to attract unpleasant incidents. So, whether it's just bad luck, whether there is a fundamental issue, I don't know.
2: We have a new winner.
3: Yes, we do. We do, and and a winner who was in literally in pieces, uh, but not actually from winning the race, but previously in the season. Um, Yeah, I mean, it was it was an excellent uh, result. just lost the name they've got uh, jorge, uh, martin. jorge martin wasn't it Jorge martin yes taking a couple of seconds it was coming back from it jorge martin uh pretty much lights a flag in the second race um yeah it was a it, it, yeah it is a ducati circuit um he was he was followed home by john mir who's very who thinks the changes made to the suzuki with a uh, ride height reducing device which enables them to get a little more drive is could fire up the second half of the season and then in third was Fabio Quattararo who, who knows that this is not a great track for the Yamaha so it seemed very chuffed in his third I place. thought he
1: rode very well if I'm honest I um, thought Quattararo he, rode smart
3: yeah. damage limitation mode for him mm. so and, yeah. and by the way
1: credit to you and Dex uh, on last week's show for saying you would be better off being on the satellite Ducati than the Ducati and what that's won
3: the satellite Ducati that's always mm. the case isn't it because yeah. they're mad
1: James O'Donnell says you get huge. You already get huge crowds at Le Mans in a normal world, but Rossi in a Ferrari, the numbers would be crazy. Love to see it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Stephen Gardner says I think Rossi's in the same class as Andretti, Earnhardt, Gretzky, Jordan, where they transcend the corner of their respective sports, in particular to those who are outside the sport, and that's a very I think that's a very smart way of putting it, Stephen, and I don't disagree with that. They're, they've actu- they're actually... All right, if you're in the sport, you know the nuances, you know everybody else. If you're outside the sport, then those big names are the big names and they become the sport. Yeah, absolutely. Don't disagree. Don't disagree mm-hmm. with that. Which um, rider
2: thinks his uh, title hopes have disappeared now?
3: Uh, Valentino Rossi? Uh, no, it's... Um, oh... What's his features? He fell off. He's the Australian Jack Miller. Jack Miller, Jack yeah. Miller
2: is correct. Yes, well, I would al- also have accepted fell off Australian.
3: <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. I, I'm having. He's one. had it Those tough. Uh, name days. He, well, no, it's his own fault. Yeah, he, he, I, I think
1: he need He's not. He's not come back. He's not come back after the break, having looked like he had a break, Nick. If that makes any
3: sense. Well, no, I think it's difficult. He, yeah, he's been. He's pushing. and I don't think. I think that Jack's better when he's just doing it. When he starts pushing, it seems to end in tears almost every single time. Um, you know, it's, it, the fact is that the two factory um, Ducatis are behind, behind the two um, satellite car, uh, bikes. So Johann Zarko was sick and the, uh, you know, beating them both. Um, good result from Brad Bindo, I thought, getting the best mm. KTM. And KTM was a little bit disappointed with that, with that result. They had obviously hoped to win at their home circuit. And Takanakigami got fifth, which is the first time he's got a decent result all season, which is odd. Because last season, all he did was get good results. So, uh, yeah, Mark Marquez um, appears to be a little bit over aggressive at the moment. He's, um, I don't know, but... He seems in a very bad mindset where he's trying to bash his way to the front.
0: We
1: need to move on from um, motorbikes, but we've got to talk about KTM, Nick, very quickly.
3: Oh, jeez, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. The, the saga, the KTM it, it just, saga. It, yeah, well, I, I don't know. KTM managed to fire both their riders um, in between uh, free practice four and qualifying. <laughs> At their by, home circuit. By announcing they were, uh, in a hurried press release, they were signing Ralph Fernandez to, for the second um, Tech 3, Tech 3 bike to join uh, remy gardner and they hadn't actually mentioned to either the riders currently at tech 3 which one was, was losing his job and then very cleverly both the riders worked out that with two people signed for the team they'd both lost their jobs so you know and this was all done to prevent um yamaha signing him uh because yamaha of course got two seats free in the Petronas satellite team because of um vignales disappearing off and rossi retiring and uh, the promotion of Frankie Morbidelli to join Fabio. So yeah, it's it's a really weird situation at the moment. And uh, KTM have got this much better ladder at the moment, They try, but they're trying not to lose any of their ladder riders and sign them all up very quickly. But in doing this, they're kind of, you know, losing other riders around the side. So, you know, it is fair to say that, you know, it hasn't been a fantastic run by Ike Laconi, but he's, you know, he's just starting another opportunity. Neither of them have been fantastic. He, Performing, But they've also had an issue where they didn't get the better t- KTM <laughs> chassis to laugh mm-hmm. the factory guys. We all know that KTM started badly. So, you know, it's a, it's a not a great situation. Uh, but KTM want to have the, the young hotshots on their satellite bike. So, you know what's going to happen next and then so it was really badly organized and really badly run and may still may still not be as decided as everyone says because apparently the reason they were so keen to sign fernandez up is because yamaha were prepared to pay his release fee uh oh, rumored right. to be half a million euros and as far as i understand if you're going to pay someone's release fee then you have to release them isn't that how it works i'm just saying you know we're going to promote you to motor gp it's fine but if Raoul doesn't want to do that and Yamaha pay a release fee. Surely he's still released because certainly that's that's certainly the EU law. You can't make someone do something against their will. You've got it in the contract so you can get out of it. But
2: so is Yamaha right. going to sign the two KTM riders?
3: No, they might, they might, they certainly won't be signing um uh Petrucci. They might sign Lacona because there's not many other options at the moment. People who've got any sort of you know potential background, you know as everyone said, the the person they should have been signing is Toprak from World Superbikes, but Toprak wants to win the World Superbikes first, and so he's Mm. re-signed there. But he would have been an ideal solution. Um, And they're a little bit short of riders, obviously. I mean, I I assume there must be about 10,000 more Spanish riders they could sign, but perhaps he doesn't want to do that. Mm. Uh, Uh,
2: Quickly, Moto2 and Moto3?
1: No. (laughs) Simple as that. Actually, I mentioned uh, Matt's Oxley, he's written a um, he's written a really good argument uh, about Mortal Three article about Mortal Three, um, and about how well, dangerous it is and why. Is. Yeah. Yes, and and about pack racing, um, same sort of stuff that we've been talking about. Very considered. Mortal Two, Mortal Three at the weekend went off pretty much without incident, and uh, it was a dry race. It was a wet race. that got dry. Everybody who gambled. Uh, went on to what uh, uh, didn't really pay off. Darren Binder was the best of the guys who came from the back. I thought that was a really good ride from him. Uh, he might have won it if he just stayed on the wets rather than starting on the dries. John McPhee couldn't pull through. And in Mortal 2, remind me, Tim, uh, it, it was... Who won it in Mortal 2?
2: Oh, I've got to get rid of that page now.
1: All right. <laughs> I, I don't know why. I said this to Eve at the weekend when I was watching. It was super, super busy. Um... Uh, uh, in terms of catching stuff up and watching stuff on slight delay and, and fast-forwarding through the bits I didn't need to watch. And I watch all the races. There's still something to me about those, those Moto2 bikes. And, and I don't really want to sound disparaging because I know the guys are riding the wheels off them. But there's something about them dynamically that don't excite me as much as GP or Moto3 does. Moto3... The, the tiny, it's all about momentum. They're taking ridiculous pace up into corners. It's pack racing, dangerous, but, you know, ultimately, you know, it is something that you want to watch. Um, Moto GP, we know all about that. Sideways, up, down, people, you know. Moto 2 just looks, God knows I couldn't ride one, so I'm not saying that at all, Nick, as a motorcycle rider. But, but if you took the colours off them, it does have the look of a bit of an expert group on track day type of thing. And I don't know well, yeah, why man. that is.
3: I think it's because it's not. They've not got a massive amount of power. They've only got about 130 horsepower, um, and they are, you know, as you say, incredibly difficult to ride quickly, like anything. But they don't kind of look spectacular. You're kind of riding them in a way. They're never effectively having a massive surfeit of grip uh, over, you know, power over grip. So they are in control a lot of the time. But even then, that makes. I mean, I, again, I'm with you. I, they, they, they take a tremendous amount of skill. But yeah, you know, I often wonder whether they are actually the best, you know, uh, learning ground for MotoGP. Apart from fact, you learn the circuits because you're going from, you know, a tyre that's 10 millimeters narrower but handling 120 horsepower and 30 horsepower less. Mm. Mm.
2: Uh, it was Marco uh, hey, and...
3: Bless you. About uh, his first win of
2: the season in Moto2. Uh, uh, Nick, you want to talk about uh, World Superbikes?
3: Yes, we went to Most, or Most, um, an interesting track. Um, we, we, it wasn't as flat as we thought it was.
1: No. When I it, saw it, I realised we did we did ELMS there in 2001. Really? With Audi R8. Doesn't, Stephanie doesn't Hansen. Years old. Nick, Stephanie Hansen holds the lap record there. In, okay. in qualifying, he did a one eighteen one in an Audi R8.
3: Wow. Um, yes, yeah, so basically it was interesting. It was, uh, once again, Tony Ray took pole for the fifth race in a row. And um, that was really how, how how it ended up being going well. Because the first race, um, he uh, fell off twice, which I think is the first, and top rack won. And he just looked out, out of sorts. The second, uh, the, sp- the sprint race and the race two, uh, Scott Redding and Toprak uh, shared the win. So it ended up with Scott Rack won once and had two seconds, and Toprak won twice and had one second. Johnny Ray managed to get two third places in the, uh, the Sunday races. But yeah, a big loss of points. Um, I think they, it was obvious the Kawasaki didn't suit him. And once again, you know, Johnny's been made to really, really push this year. And then when he really, really pushed, the, uh, the errors have come. Wrong tyre uh, as
1: well, though. The bike yeah, just did uh, look it, right.
3: It, um, apparently, um,
1: I just thought the bike looked twitchy, but I thought the front end looked very twitchy, and I hate very twitchy front ends, as any motorcycle mm-hmm. rider does, who isn't very good. Um, apparently, he kept the bike really short, and uh, uh, you know you can change the wheelbase a little bit on motorcycles, track to track. He kept it very short. I think that was a mistake, and I think he had the wrong front tire on, Nick.
3: I I couldn't agree with you more. I don't think I think it was a bad weekend, at a track they've not been to before. And he's managed to emerge just ahead of the championship by three points in top rack. Scott now is just shy of it's exactly 50 points off. Um, but yeah, not not a good weekend, but you know, it's just one weekend out of you know a dozen. But yeah, if you'd looked at that one, you would have said, How's that guy won six in a row? But we all have off weekends. Um, and then they got a fortnight now and they're off to Navarra.
2: Okay, there's definitely enough bikes. Uh, let's uh move on to IndyCar next and let's see if we can bring in Shea Adam.
1: Hello, Shea. Hello. Yes. Our, you, did you watch the uh, IndyCar at the weekend, Shea?
4: Oh, yes, I did.
1: Were you lap scoring like I was? Uh,
4: no, Well, for the safety car, yeah. So, yeah, so I mean, Corvette
1: and Oriel played. Servia won then? No, they didn't win, Oriel but they led the most laps. they
4: did a phenomenal job.
1: Yes, they led he the kept most kept it out laps. of the wall. Every time.
2: Every exactly. time.
4: Exactly. Mm-hmm. No other
1: driver could say that. <laughs> Hardly, indeed. Can we make it um, a bit
2: louder for the listener, please?
1: Yes, I already have. The um, the I thought some um, ill-advised comments from uh, the chief executive beforehand, saying that it, even on its first run, it was going to be the best thing ever, better than anything ever in racing, <laughs> better than. Monaco, better than everywhere. And unfortunately, of course, that didn't happen. Never mind what happened at the race. (laughs) Never mind what happened at the race. Look, the downtown, I love Nashville, and the downtown um, setting was fantastic. But unfortunately, and it has been kept relatively quiet, there was an awful lot of people who were annoyed because they got there on Friday or indeed on Saturday. Their grandstands weren't finished. They were shuffled off to other places. They didn't have the same view. I saw a couple of people complaining that they'd paid a lot of money for a grandstand where the workers were standing. Instead of finishing it, they were standing watching what was going on, on the track, and they got shuffled off to another one where they had 50 feet of track to look at. Um, and yet, it it had a huge viewer number um, yeah. on Indy on, indie, uh, on uh, for the Indy cars. One
4: point uh 212 million viewers which makes it the highest viewed race outside of the indy 500 now everyone's really happy about this i'm not this was not a great advertisement for indycar this race was uh stagnant nine caution periods two red flags this is not indycar racing and to advertise it as such you're going to gain some fans superficially because they're going to think that every weekend is a normal crash fest, but you're also going to lose some fans who remember the good old days of the racing on the streets where perhaps it's, um, you know, Dario and Tony Canon and Elio and all of our heroes going at it tooth and nail. And what we saw was a lot of nails.
2: Mm.
3: Uh, uh, the the uh, track someone... could have been... Go Sorry, go,
2: go ahead,
4: I thought that,
1: look, listen, honestly, the Nissan Stadium, um, uh, which was um, never mentioned, uh, never referred to as the Nissan Stadium, it was referred to as Titan Stadium, that's not the title of the... Of of the, the stadium, which I thought was interesting, particularly as you could see in 20 foot high letters it's saying Nissan right in front of the pit um, But clearly the NBCSN commentators had been told not to mention the word Nissan. Um, the 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 track, you know, the, the proximity to downtown, the fact you could walk over the bridge uh, straight into the party zone, um, which which is a remark. Remi- the only place it it, it it compares with to me is Newcastle and the quayside in the northeast of England. It is absolutely remarkable, that place. Um, it could have been better. I didn't understand the need for all those twiddly bits off the end of the bridge. Surely if you wanted just to use the bridge so you could say you used the bridge, which is what it appeared like to me, you could have just done... It was wide at the far end. You could have just done a big, wide-open hairpin.
4: It was a an odd track configuration a lot of the drivers giving it high praise have to give credit where credit is due for that um drivers like pato award hit the wall got out did an interview and said how much he loved the place because it was so bumpy yeah yeah yeah. it was and and pato's come a long way (laughs) full credit to him um that's not the pato award we had nimsa back in 2017 when he won the pc championship um it's it was not great for viewership um it did cause a lot of issues not only in the indycar race but then as well in some of the support races there was a lot of carnage and trans am and uh, world challenge as well the gt america race there i turned it on at one point they went to caution came back about 20 minutes later still under caution went back to green seven minutes later back to caution um so there wasn't a lot of racing necessarily for the fans but there was a lot of show The biggest thing that I've heard from friends who went to the track is how hot it was and how difficult it was to get between places. There was one footbridge, John, that when you walked over it, you then had to go back through security once again, even though you had just crossed a bridge.
1: Lack of shade as well was something that I was told by people. Uh, that was there, but you can't argue with the television numbers, biggest for a decade or more um, in terms of IndyCar uh, picking it up. It was highly promoted. NBC. I don't know if NBC are part of the uh, part of the consortium that are that promoting it, but it, it was an infomercial all the way through, with people out in the stands talking about how fabulous the view was and how fabulous this was and how fantastic that was, um, which I thought was very very interesting um, and. I, I giggled in the middle of that because Alan Prosser said, hang on, Cher, there was a driver that kept it out the wall and he won, Marcus Ericsson. Didn't keep it on the floor, <laughs> mind you, but he did keep it up, which was oh. an extraordinary story. Um, and a product of the the design of the track, in fairness, Joseph Newgarden couldn't even be on the track he helped design, which um, he was a bit disappointed uh, at um, yeah, ran up the back, went up in the air, but quite frankly, the interest for me was the driver that didn't win when he should have because he was oh. dominating the race, and that uh, and, you know, and uh, uh, and that was Connor Daly. Uh, that, um, that was Colton Hurter. Uh, it was Colton Hurter. Sorry, Holton Curtis.
4: Yeah, exactly. And apparent, um, apparently,
1: by the way, the other thing that people were talking about, about the, the event, as well as the things, $1,500 for paddock access.
4: Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, that's, that is Long Beach kind of numbers. And, and they were trying to become a Long Beach. Uh, this event very much wants to be the prestigious street course race that we right. have in IndyCar in North America.
1: Let's hear but... from, from
5: Holton Kurtner, and we'll talk a little more in a moment.
1: No,
2: let's hear from our race winner, who's Marcus Ericsson.
5: Uh, but yeah, I thought oh, my race was over there and and then, you know I got um, we had to repair the car. I got a stop and go and um we were like dead last and and you know it was all about trying to recover. I think the car got some damage as well, you know from that oh. flight <laughs> so um it was definitely you know some damage on the car, but I thought you know I'd try and recover as many positions as possible and have a solid what top fifteen. sort of my my game plan then from from after that incident and then uh, yeah the team did a great job with the strategy Um pit stops were great and there was so many incidents and then for sure there was some luck there as well Um, no doubt about that but then you know we delivered when we when we had to and In the end, I think when when Colton was behind me and I had to do a really big fuel number to get us to the finish line and and still keep him behind, that was one of the toughest challenges of my career. And and I'm very proud that I could keep him behind and then keep the pace up and and that won me the race. You know, he was pushing really hard as we could see um, and he's been the fastest guy all weekend. And then obviously as the race was with all the... Incidents, it was going to be another red flag so it was not going to be an easy finish but uh, yeah, I was really happy to, to finish it off there and, and have a, another
2: another win uh, Marcus Eriksson there it was, apart from Eriksson winning on a street course which is definitely not new this season it was a chance for a couple of drivers who have really underperformed so far this year to actually get some high scoring positions. show wasn't it?
4: the race tim i have to say i was cheering pretty hard there were four drivers at the front of the field and i wanted all four of them on the podium because james hinchcliffe and ryan hunter ray both deserved trophies uh definitely not at the expense of scott dixon uh who finished second but for Hinch, finally getting a podium not knowing what his future is for uh next year that was pretty cool
1: well let's hear from him see what he had to say after the big machine nashville grand prix
6: Yeah. I mean, the, the pace of the entire Andretti squad was quick. Um, obviously, you know, it sucks that uh, Colton and Alex had their problems, but you know, Ryan and I both coming home in the top five is a great result for the team. And, you know, for us in the 29 car, it's been uh it's been a rough season. We've had our own troubles, but then we've also just had a lot of bad luck, you know, and it looked like it was going that way again today when we got stuck in the traffic jam there in turn 11, but uh, Brian Barnhart in the stand made a great call and got us in the pits there to, uh, to kind of cycle through uh, when it all shook out and, and then we, you know, we had a great car. You know, the Capstone car was great, and uh, the Andretti Steinbrenner guys in the pits were were awesome in that second stop to get us out ahead of Ryan because he was ahead of us on track at that point. So it was eventful. We were at the back, we were at the front. We kind of ran a little bit everywhere today in the middle. Um, you know, it's kind of like Scott said. We had probably a few too many yellows for uh, for what we would have wanted to put on a good show for everyone here. But the the crowd at Nashville unbelievable it's if it, it, you'd think this race had been going on 40 years it's it's like a long beach it's like a Toronto it's like a St. Pete in year one so excited to come back and just huge credit to everybody that that put on the event and uh and like I said great result for the Andre Steinbrenner guys and the capstone car.
2: So Shay is this a start of a turnaround for Hunter Ray and Hinchcliffe or is it just a, a lucky result based on a lot of other top drivers not finishing?
4: Um The Andretti cars were super strong this weekend. There's no denying that. We still have a couple races on the schedule. There's, what, five races left in the season, including this weekend when they're racing at Indy on the Road course, once again. There are definitely races this year where Andretti will be strong. Think about Long Beach at the end of the year. Hunter Ray and Hinchcliffe both, um, I believe, former race winners there. I know Hinch for sure. I think Hunter Ray as well. But they're both drivers without contracts for next year, and we still don't know where they're going to land. It does look a bit right now as if this is a last hurrah for both of them, but I really hope this is sort of an audition opportunity where perhaps both drivers are in talks with other teams and we just don't know about them yet.
2: And why didn't Will Power
1: get a penalty?
4: Um, Because he took out his teammates.
1: He's not getting any Christmas cards from his teammates either, is he?
4: No, and I have to tell you, there was some very good social media going on between the four Penske drivers the night before the race. They were giving Will Power grief about having not worn a blazer to a party when they all were in suits and and blazers or at least nice clothes and blazers because Power had been giving McLaughlin grief the day before about not wearing proper Penske uniform. And Power said at the end of the video, I'm going to beat them all. Well, he beat all of them up on track, not necessarily coming in ahead of them.
2: Uh, where's IndyCar going next? You've already said, haven't you?
4: Yes, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway for the uh, spectacular this weekend. IndyCar and NASCAR sharing a track—it's going to be wicked.
2: More from Shay in the second hour of this program, but let's move on to Formula
1: One. Can I do? have got a couple of quick tweets very quickly, Tim. Before we do that, as we've got a couple of minutes before nine, Stephen Gardner says, "I'm with Gearbox Girl. Terrible short piece for." For IndyCar, uh, not as good as it can be. Lots of things I didn't understand about that circuit layout and and why they set it out like that it was obvious. It was going to be a crash fest. Uncle Kevin says unpopular take: street circuits are not good. I don't think it's that unpopular, Kevin. To be honest, also very expensive to put together. Fabian W couldn't watch Indy till the end. Awful as a racing fan, track looked. Uh, didn't look that much more narrow than the fountain section at Long Beach, but they had so more many cautions. I just think it was too tight in too many places, uh, to be honest. Uh, Shane, the second hour, did you say? It? All right, we'll try and squeeze that in. We've got we an awful lot.
3: Where to next? Formula One. Yeah, got been pent up for about half minute, five minutes. There. There's John Lumpstein with Twitter.
2: Yeah, Honestly, he tells us we're running behind, and then he
3: fills with uh, tweets. At, I'm stuck at... <laughs> It's not filling,
1: it's the listener talking to us. And we do that, it's dynamic, we're a live radio show, that's the whole point. No other, no other people who do podcasts and stuff like that, they don't do that, because they're pre-recorded. So we can do it live, so there we thought, we do it live. Who's
2: uh, made $501 million in the second quarter of 2021?
3: Austin Powers. I have absolutely no idea. Uh, Lawrence Stroll?
2: no. Nick uh,
3: Debbie Nicholas, Nicholas TV's dad. It's Formula One. Oh, okay, sorry. I Hooray! I, I gone to the wrong place. Yes, but that's 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 because they've actually had some races and some crowds and some uh, T V money.
2: Yeah, so that compares with just I mean, twenty four million in the, the, the same period last year. When they had well, none of those things.
3: Yeah, so it's not really the biggest uh, surprise they're making more money than when they when they didn't do anything.
2: What what are the three biggest sources of that money?
3: Uh television. One um, TV company fee. in
2: particular, which was the Nordic Entertainment Group, which has got the rights for the Netherlands.
3: Yes, they've been paying some big money. Uh, uh, and then you've got sponsorship. And I two
2: sponsors, Crypto.com mm. and BWT.
3: Who pay for the track signage in Austria, didn't they? Mm. Both of those.
2: And uh, a big uh, sustainability partnership, which is all about water.
3: Yeah, obviously.
1: Uh, so, mm, certainly about washing something, I would have
3: think Absolutely, because mm, things are very clean coming clean, out of it. Very
1: clean indeed. Where has
2: George Russell gone on holiday?
3: Milton Keynes. He's gone to Mykonos with his Bessie mate, uh, Nicholas t v
2: Yes, they both uh, ended up in Santorini in the same restaurant.
3: Uh, yeah, yeah, the only really weird thing was that um, uh, George got there about a second earlier. Ha
1: ha! tish. Very good. Thank you. Uh, not
2: a lot's happening in the world of Formula One, is it?
1: No, Hang on, no, Marshall. no, no, no. Hang no.
2: on.
1: Well, I was expecting Crown Court music here. What about the appeal of the appeal of the appeal for the appeal that had been turned down for yeah, the appeal?
3: I, I kind of think that um, I'm quite pleased this has happened. That the, There was a double, a, a theoretical triple appeal by... Um, with a half twist That's in the pipe. Aston Martin, <laughs> who appeared to want to start this damn thing, which has happened with, with once Red Bull did the special appeal against the stewards, for, as far as Lewis was concerned, with this unique and super evidence no one's ever heard of before. Um, it, I was worried it was going to start forming a habit and everyone's going to argue with everything. And, and Aston Martin decided to argue about that. And, and, and their unique evidence um, amounted to the fact that their car wasn't working properly and they believe it may have blown the fuel out of the airways gate effectively. Um, so you didn't have the fuel you said you had on board, therefore you didn't provide the <laughs> you sample, actually therefore you broke the rules. You proved the now... case. You proved the so, case, yeah. but could we so get the fuel they're... out of the car? Uh, no. So what they're basically saying is they're now thinking that they can appeal because their car wasn't working properly. And I was thinking that means that everyone who's ever broken down from a race ever could appeal because their car isn't working properly. Um, yeah, so that uh, Seb's not getting the points back, basically. So uh, the uh, the Championship will stay as it is and it'll be officially a second place for Lewis so does that, in Hungary.
1: So does that mean that when they said there was 1.14 litres... There wasn't.
3: There wasn't, it been, in it had, fact. It, had out it just me. hadn't gone where they thought it had gone. Exactly. There'd been a venting issue. Yeah,
1: I'm sure there had been. They need to talk to Christian Horner about that. He's got a venting issue as well, hasn't he?
3: Oh, that is, I, I couldn't possibly comment, but yes. Uh, yeah, so it's it, I, I I I must admit I do feel that we need to get back to the to the world we were in a few years ago when uh, when of course Jordan. Appealed against a one-race ban for Eddie Irvine, and it got increased to three-race bans, so being a spurious argument. So I think mm-hmm. the spurious argument thing might come in. We might lose some of these uh, situations. They go, yeah, well, not only are you banned, you're also banned for the next. Na- yeah, you're not only do you disqualify, but we're also going to give you a ten-race yeah, grip health. It's just being awkward because honestly, you can't just. Sometimes you just got to let okay. people make a decision. It's after time. Um, We've, We've got to stop fees. now. We've got to stop now. Appeal
2: fees. I've just got one facetious question. I'll okay, appeal fees. Um, Because obviously, you have to pay if you want to appeal anything. Quite a lot of money. Are they included when the cost cap? Ooh. I don't think they are,
1: actually. I don't think they are. I think perhaps they should be. Oh. Tim Tim Greer. Nail hit on head. Nick, thanks very much. We'll talk to you on Midday Motorsport next week. Me, Lobster. Cheers, mate. Bye bye. (laughs) Bye. Bye.
0: Bye. Midweek Motorsport. Half time And while we swap ends, here's what's coming up.
1: Uh, what have we got in the second hour? Lots. Uh, we may need the shoehorn and the liquid soap. Apparently, Shea is coming back uh, to do some more news. Uh, we've got some Porsche Carrera Cup North America presented by Visit Cayman Islands. Parker Thompson joining us after a super weekend in Wisconsin. Ben Constantouris is off to Belgium this weekend, not to sample the beer, although I'm sure he will. Uh, he's lead commentator on the WRC, Rally Ypres. He'll be telling us what to watch out for and who to watch out for. But next, the biggest audience for Australian motorsport happened about a week or ten days ago. And we've got the man that made it happen on our big interview Mid- on Big week, week Motorsport
0: on RadioLemon.com.
1: Delighted to say that joining us now, having got up very early, uh, oh, this always does my head in, on Thursday morning, I think it is, to be with us on Midweek Motorsport this week, Lachlan Mansell. Hello, my friend. How are you?
7: Very well, thanks, John. Uh, Nice to be part of the show. How's everything over in the UK? Well, do you know what? It's not been too bad. Not been too bad at all. We've had a little
1: bit of decent weather. Recently, um, not too hot, not your kind of hot, although you're right in the middle of your winter now, aren't you, coming through into, into spring. Now, for, for those of you, you might have... Ooh, hang on a second, I recognise that voice. Well, you'd have heard Lachlan, or Lockie. We can call you Lockie, can't we? we of course count you as your can. your friends. Good, excellent. Locky has been heard on the Radio Show Limited Airwaves in the past when he's been working at... Uh, Bathurst at Mount Panorama calling uh, some of the races that we've aired there both on the international uh, video stream and on the airwaves of Radio Show Limited six hours as well I'm pretty certain we've heard his voice uh, on uh, on there as well and we will talk motorsport with them we've got him on for something a little bit different if you haven't been following the socials you might not know this but Lachlan you're a you're a national media and television star. We've had to go through a, a PR agency from a TV company to even get you on <laughs> Midweek Motorsports. My goodness, thank you for talking to us. Just the little people now we are. Um, I'm, I'm joking, of course, because I know it hasn't changed you a bit. But you were one of the two winners on the latest, the seventh season of Australia Beauty and the Geek, which was revived this year, moved to, I think, to Channel 9. Where it used to be on 7, uh, didn't it? Um, first of all, congratulations. What made you get involved in that in the first place?
7: <laughs> yeah, thank you, John. Um, it was a whirlwind experience for me and <laughs> something that got me well and truly out of my comfort zone, as you could imagine. And uh, I know that there's a lot of international listeners here old Radio Show Limited who may not have seen a lot of the show or may have only been able to access snippets of it on social media, but when it becomes available, and I think it will become available sooner rather than later to an international audience, make sure that you watch it and you'll understand what you mean when I say that it was about getting out of my comfort zone. But just to go back to your question and the reason why I decided to go on the show in the first place, I think that for the last decade my life has revolved so much around the motorsport industry Mm -hmm. and pursuing my professional career within motorsport and I know that this is something that you can relate to John that my social life had not just taken a back seat but (laughs) it had been almost completely neglected because as you would know only too well one of the things about motorsport is that it happens on weekends yeah so When most people were out at the bar, you know, chatting up hot girls and trying to get into relationships, I've typically been out at racetracks calling motorsport events or working in in media and PR for my motorsport clients. And that has come at the expense of my social and romantic life. I decided that I needed to do something to reactivate that side of my life. And um, when applications opened for Beauty and the Geek, uh, a few of my friends sent me the link, and they said you should oh, apply really? for this. And, and I thought, yeah, you know what? Why not? What have so, I got to lose? So that was back in September last year
1: when um, was, when yeah. the auditions and the applications opened. Which is, I mean, it is. It would have been in a quote unquote a normal year. Um, right at the end of a motorsport season and the filming takes place right at the start of a motorsport season. In fact, Bathurst and the Liquid Molly 12 hours had been right in the middle of it. But of course, it wasn't a normal year last year or the start of this year. Um, so did that make the choice a little bit
7: easier and you were able to totally commit to it, Lockie? Yeah, I mean, there were still some challenges involved because the filming process took about six weeks from mid-February through until the beginning of April this year. So there was still a six-week period where I couldn't attend any motorsport events. The the amount of work that I could do was, was restricted because obviously during filming you don't have access to phone or internet. So in that sense, it was a bit of a risk and I actually had to employ an assistant, um, young Ryan Jones, who's still doing a bit of work for me, helping with social media for my clients. Um, They basically had to manage my business during the time I was away. And the other interesting thing as well, John, is that when you go on a pre-recorded reality TV show like this one, um, you're not allowed to talk about it until it goes to air. So between filming, finishing and the show airing, I couldn't tell anyone the results or anything that had happened Or any of the details. So, the best analogy that I can come up with is imagine winning the Bathurst 12 hour. The only people (laughs) who know that you've won the Bathurst 12 hour are your rivals and the officials, and you're not allowed to tell anyone else, none of your family members, friends, or anything for four months. Oh, would have been a nightmare. What was,
1: (laughs) what was, uh, I, I don't, because I'm sure we will see it, I don't want to give away too much about. The, the, the show itself okay everybody's going to know that you've won now and and you won quite a lot of the challenges uh, as well in in fairness but what was the selection process like then okay so you, you know you do an online form or you you know you, you throw your hat in the in the ring there and, and then and then you know shed a bit of light for us who who haven't been involved in something like this what was it like and and, and was it was it quite a grueling process to get in in the first place
7: it was a grueling process and it had multiple stages. So, like you say, it started off with an online written application. It then progressed to I had to do a Skype interview, then to an in person audition. And then there was a medical examination and a psychological assessment that I had to go through before oh, yeah. I was finally selected. So, you care and all groups. that nowadays, very important in those shows, isn't it? Yeah, so I will let you in on something, though. In the written application, one of the questions was, what is your best party trick? And my answer to that question was that I can name every Bathurst 1000 winner from 1963 (laughs) until 2020. (laughs) (laughs) That's like
1: Joe Bradley and his Formula One world champions all the way from Farina to... Lewis Hamilton, he, and he does it in you know. So if it was Hamilton, 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 he would do it like that as well. Bradley could do that as well. I'm not sure he'd ever get accepted for a for a reality TV show. To be to be honest. All right. For those that don't know, then Lachlan, the the
7: the premise of the show is is to to what? The premise of the show is to partner geeks with beauty. So obviously I fall into the geeky part of the equation. So each of the 10 geeks on the show was paired with beauty and the couples then together have to negotiate their way through challenges um, where they each support each other and each use their particular strengths and areas of expertise to help each other through the challenges. And uh, it's an elimination process. So in each episode, the bottom performing two teams have to then participate in an elimination event. The the bottom team goes home, but that process continues until you get through to, uh, to the end, obviously, and end up with one winning couple, which fortunately was myself and my beautiful beauty, Kira, who was my partner through the experience. And
1: were you with the same partner all the way... Through uh, this uh, Lockie, because no. The, no, right. I was going to say, yeah, that's because <laughs> that's a that's a that's a part of that's a
7: part of the challenge as well. That's that's I, I find it a bit difficult to follow, to be honest. Yeah, so in the first three episodes or, or rounds, if we could call them that, there were no eliminations, but um, there were some repairings. So Sophie Monk, who was the host, a very well-known Australian. Uh, media and celebrity personality um she was looking at how the different couples were interacting and during those first three episodes if she thought that there were people who were better suited together she would shuffle them around so i actually had two previous partners before i finally ended up with kira yeah uh
1: Josie Werner from New South Wales, the the young dancer, the 21-year-old. And and you and her did a cracking challenge at the radio station.
7: We did. Uh, That challenge was the third challenge that we did. So, again, that was while... Uh, The couples were still being shuffled around a little bit. But that was a challenge that fell right down my alley because it was a challenge where we had to do a live radio broadcast, which, as you can imagine, with my broadcasting experience, was something where I was right in my element. So we were fortunate enough to win that challenge. And uh, the way that the competition works is if you win a challenge, the prize is that you get to go on a date. So I was able to take young Josie on, a, uh, a date where I was introducing her is my world, we went and did some go-kart racing. Ah, very good. You also won the challenge at providing
1: halftime entertainment at, a, at an NRL game as well. Now, explain what you had to do there. Please tell me you didn't have to wave pom-poms and dance around.
7: <laughs> no but the girls did uh, we as the geeks still had to come up with our own cheerleading routine though. so it involved some very poorly choreographed dance moves and also <laughs> coming up with a chant to energise the crowd and, and get them pumped up for the match which as a, as a rugby league fan I was able to write the, the lyrics for the chant and uh, nice. that was enough for me to win that one as well which was good, That was that's an experience I'll never forget, going out during halftime onto a a, a field during um, the break-in between halves in front of a massive crowd. Huge adrenaline rush and um, like nothing that I've never experienced before. It's not easy, though,
1: even if you've done stuff like we have before. I I went out onto my local football club's ground once when we were doing a big charity concert and uh, before a, a a charity football match, and walked. I was only meant to walk about ten yards and do the introductions, and I kept going as far as the mic would let me because all I could think of was a younger version of me in the stands looking down at this little speck, going, "What's this guy doing? <laughs> what, what's happening <laughs> now?" And it was, you know, and then you times that by however many thousand people are, and and I'm sure people think that what we do, Lockie, you know, we're all. All of us who broadcast, all of us who do what we do, are, are super confident and, uh, and absolutely at, at one with life. But that's our work life, isn't it? That's something that I, you know, it's a bit different when you get in a,
7: in a real world situation. It is, and I think that out on the stadium, if they'd given me a microphone and told me that I had to talk about motorsport, I would have been okay, but that wasn't the challenge. I had to actually dance and you know, energise the crowd, so that was a little bit nerve-wracking. Um,
1: in in all, then, when you look back at it, going back all the way to last September through the, the six, seven weeks of, of filming, and then the waiting as well, and and all of the... The hype, and it is hype, that goes around it. This is a huge show uh, in in Australia with, with huge, you know, half a million, three quarters of a million uh, audience for each of the rounds. It's massive. Uh, what do you look back on? What do you take out of it? And how do you feel, if it
7: has, how do you feel it's changed you? Oh, it's changed my life 100%. I think just going through the experience getting to hang out with some of the most beautiful and nicest girls you will ever meet and and feeling what it's like to be valued and appreciated by them. Um, You know, you hear a lot of horror stories from people who've appeared on reality TV shows who've then suffered mental health issues afterwards, but my experience couldn't be any further from the opposite to that. My headspace and my mental health coming out of the experience is so far above where it was before it's not funny and I think that it's probably not so much my my professional life where um things will change but definitely my personal and social life there are going to be some big benefits so um you know a, a massively positive experience and it sounds cliched but it has changed my life 100 percent. for the better for the better yeah well you. and truly uh, uh, uh... Difficult, perhaps, question for you to answer, but
1: it's called Beauty and the Geek. Um, Getting the ladies involved, one might think that, you know, what were they involved with it for? They had everything going for them. But I think the nice thing is that that the show proved that everybody has their own challenges to face.
7: Yes, and I think a lot of the girls were there because they had things that they wanted to learn and and improve with themselves as well. So the girls, you might think that they're confident and they might look confident on the outside, but, you know, deep down some of them had things that they wanted to work on in their lives as well. So I think that's why we ended up with such a great group of cast members and you know, again, on reality TV shows, often you hear about cast members hating each other and not getting along. But <laughs> I can tell you that the entire cast of Beauty and the Geek, we are all firm and lifelong friends. We all still talk to one another every day. I was going to um, ask that.
1: That's great. Yeah,
7: yeah, and and we're all so supportive of one another. A,
1: a, quite a a big mixture, both with the guys, the geeks. Obviously, you yourself as a broadcaster and journalist, there was a. Uh, a maths teacher, a video gamer, martial arts, footy fan, law graduate, cosplayer, podcaster, military historian, young Kyle Blaze uh, um, from South Australia, and a doctor and and the ladies, a student, a dental receptionist, uh, Jessica who worked in retail, Jess Heatley, a journalist, Brianna Reynolds, entertainment reporter, medical secretary, dancer, uh, performers, receptionist, and Kira, Kira Johnson, with whom you... Became the winner, a public servant from from Victoria. so
7: you two hit it off. Are you still seeing each other? Is it going to go on? I've got to ask that question, lucky.: <laughs> Yeah, for the moment, we've agreed just to stay as very close friends. We still talk all the time, good for um, you. which is really, really good, so it's a lovely relationship not not romantic as such and i think one of the challenges is that particularly at the moment she's based down in victoria i'm in sydney we're in COVID lockdown at the moment the borders are closed mm-hmm. so physically we can't see each other um but like i said we still talk all the time we, we miss each other very much and as soon as the borders reopen i think we'll be uh definitely um, making plans to to see each other again well that's great news that's great news
1: can't have you on Again, congratulations for that, but we can't have you on without talking a bit about Australian Um which has been uh, tricky. Mm. I, I'm, I'm, yeah. being, I'm being diplomatic uh, in saying that. The international events simply haven't happened. Um, we've even got... Problems with uh, we talked about rugby league earlier on. Rugby league World Cup looks like that's going to have to be postponed because the NRL clubs don't want their players leaving Australia and New Zealand. So that's going to be put back at, at, at least a, at least a year. Um, what's the what's the atmosphere like in Australian motorsport at the moment? We we still seeing. The uh, Repco Australian Supercars when it when it happens here we get live live coverage uh, of that but but even that uh intrastate has been has been affected.
7: Yeah, the, the big thing here at the moment, John, is there's just so much uncertainty yeah. around what happens. Unfortunately, I'm based in Sydney, which is the worst affected <laughs> area at the moment in terms of the COVID outbreak. So we're in a pretty strict lockdown and we can not really go out and do anything at the moment. So I think. You know, and unfortunately, that outbreak has now spread into some areas in regional New South Wales as well. So uh, the whole state of New South Wales, you pretty much can't leave and go anywhere else. One of the problems that we do have here in Australia, and we saw it a bit last year as well, is that supercars, yes, it's a professional motorsport category, and... You know, we saw last year that all of the Melbourne teams relocated for over 100 days just to keep the supercars show on the road. Um, They, to some extent, they can do that because they're fully employed professionals who work full-time as mechanics and engineers and it's Mm. their job and it's their livelihood. But you look at some of the other national categories, like Porsche Carrera Cup, GT World Challenge Australia, TCR Australia, Um, even the development series, the Super 2 and the Super 3 series. And what you have to remember is that, number one, a lot of the drivers, in fact, you'd say the vast majority of drivers are not professionals. Mm -hmm. Um, They've got other jobs and other pursuits outside of their racing. And number two, ditto for a lot of the mechanics and engineers. Many of them work full-time jobs during the week, and then they'll come out to the racetrack on weekends as either volunteers or for a bit of extra income as a subcontractor. It's not feasible to expect those people to spend months on end on the road away from their families and away from their jobs. And that's why you know a lot of the support categories at a national level have been more severely impacted, I believe, by COVID than what the Supercars Championship has.
1: We've seen over here, uh, Locky, that the, the, the national scene has actually picked up quite a bit. I was fortunate enough to go racing in uh, the Silverstone Classic um, a couple of weekends ago in a lovely old Chevron B8. Um, We didn't have very many international uh, entrants for that, but all sorts of people came out, came out of the woodwork. Now, we're in a much smaller area here, but does that mean in within states there's still things going on at a at that kind of level, or has the the whole thing pretty much ground to a halt? Because that's because that's a big that's a lot of business there that's had to be put on hold.
7: Yeah, you're right, and yes, motorsport activity at a state level has been able to resume in areas that are not affected by COVID outbreaks. So. Uh, We saw it last year as well, where Victoria was severely affected, but New South Wales was not so badly affected. We saw that state-level racing in New South Wales was where it was at for a few months. And in fact, you had some quite high-profile national competitors actually running in state championship race meetings just to get some track time. And I think we might see a bit of that, but unfortunately it's sort of the only states where that can happen are states that are not severely affected by COVID. So I think it might be the opposite this time where we see a bit of state racing in perhaps Victoria um, or South Australia where the COVID situation is not too bad. But I think here in New South Wales things are going to be on hold for a bit longer. And what's your sense of, of what
1: might happen with with the international side of things? I mean if Formula One which has been operating within a very strict bubble uh, see above comment for for MotoGP and and World Superbike as well. If if they either don't feel confident enough or the Australian government don't feel confident enough to let those people come down, it doesn't bode well for the rest of international motorsport for for at least what another six, eight, twelve months. Any
8: ideas?
7: Yeah, and I know that probably the, one of the particular events that you're alluding to there, Heidi, would be the Bathurst 12-hour because yeah. I know just how much you love coming down under each year. I'm on year. the leash, mate. I'm straining on yeah.
1: the leash. <laughs> well, listen, I'll tell you this. My last flight was coming back mm. from Sydney, 9th of February, not last year, 2019, coming back from the Liquid Moly Bathurst 12-hours. The last time, that was the last time I was working at a racetrack properly Doing what we do, we've done everything else it remotely. Twenty twenty, wouldn't
7: it? we would have been twenty uh, twenty. That was uh, tw- last running of the twelve uh, hour. Sorry,
1: twenty twenty. Yep. Right. Yeah, absolutely.
7: Yeah, twenty twenty, not
1: twenty twenty one. So, uh, well over a year now since I've been on a plane, and that's the longest time I've had my feet on the ground since I was in my early teens going on holiday with my mum and dad. You know, so yeah, you're right. I'm straining at the leash. When can I come back?
7: Yeah, I think the key thing here in Australia is going to be the vaccination rate. Um, One of the things is that particularly with the COVID outbreak in Sydney, the vaccination rate has gone up quite significantly. So there is a chance that by the end of the year, we could have a high enough vaccination rate that the federal government will decide to open the borders. But the problem, as you know, for the 12-hour is logistics. If the yeah. federal government don't decide until December too late. that they're going to open the borders, mm. it's too late because yeah. the teams don't have enough preparation time. So that's probably the biggest hurdle that I see uh, in the way of the Bathurst 12-hour taking place next year. Uh,
1: and, and what then is is the the mood of the people that you talk to in in the motorsport paddocks or you would normally be talking to in the motorsport paddocks clearly you've still got clients uh you're still doing your, your pr your journalism uh, what what mood is it from them are they f- trying to find other things to do or, or are they just having to, to sit and wait to be told
7: when they can go back to racing yeah i mean it varies from client to client i think the overall mood you would have to say would be one of frustration and (laughs) i can't blame anyone for that one of the things that some of them are becoming involved in though is sim racing and we saw the online and virtual racing take off last year uh, when covid first erupted and i think over the next couple of months while a lot of the real life motorsport activities are on hold here in australia once again you'll be seeing people moving towards sim racing because um you know In motorsport, we're lucky in that it can be simulated in a way that somewhat resembles the real-life version of the sport, whereas for, for, you know, soccer or rugby league, for example, you can't really simulate that (laughs) like you can with motorsport. It's not transferable skills, is it, if you're playing FIFA? I can play FIFA really,
1: really well, but that doesn't mean that I could go out and pull on... Pull on the goalkeeper's jersey and play for England. Whereas at motorsports, there's pedals, there's a steering wheel, there's hand-eye coordination. There are transferable skills, and and, and I I totally agree with that. Um, I, I and and you know we've we've done it ourselves, and it, it it has kept people it has kept people busy, and even Eve's managed to to pull some sponsors in to do various things like that. Lachlan, I can't can't congratulate you enough for what you've done for two reasons. One, because you've gone out and won something massive on television, which is great in itself. But I think more than that, I'd, I'd like to congratulate you for doing something that took you outside of your comfort zone as you said because a lot of people wouldn't have done that and a lot of people even in our business wouldn't have done that i I think you've you've represented yourself and our sport and what we do in in motorsport journalism really really well so thank you for that and and good luck with with what you do in the future little tip by the way if you do manage to get the very lovely kira johnson up to sydney um Lunchtime at the, uh, the Somersault restaurant uh, down at uh, Cronulla in the Shires. Uh, heartily recommend it. One of Even I's favourite places to go when we're down there looking out over, over the Tasman Sea.
7: all right i'll keep that in mind and for those australian listeners don't forget that you can tune in um if you've missed any of the beauty in the gig episodes they're available to stream via the nine now website and app so that's how you can keep up to date with that i just checked that and they're all there in order so start downloading them or watching
1: them direct from the site you can make a a free account on that as well I noticed Lachlan thank you very much indeed for being with us good luck with your motorsport Uh, good luck with undoubtedly the next phase of your television career because I I suspect that this will not be the last time that the television
7: companies come calling mate Uh, absolutely more power to your elbow fella oh thank you John and thank you for having me always a pleasure to be part of your show that's brilliant
1: stuff and um, with a bit of luck, we'll hear you on our airwaves as well. Uh, lucky Mansell, winner of Beauty and the Geek Australia. To us, he's always going to be Lucky motorsport journalist and broadcaster. And we'll have him back any time.
7: Cheers, mate. Thanks, John.
2: Tomorrow at 8 here on RS1, it's another episode of the Simcast, and this week they're going to be talking about Forza Horizon 5's new map, and there's a special Le Mans-related test track uh, from Lewis Satley.
1: Time now for some Porsche Carrera Cup North America, presented by Visit Cayman Islands. Two races at the weekend. Uh, Rounds 9 and 10, if I am not mistaken. Uh, It was a very good weekend, some good racing all around. Very good weekend for JDX Racing and Parker Thompson, who joins us now on the telephone back at his base, I think we should say, not his home, in Indianapolis. Um, You've got to feel pretty good after the weekend, Parker. That was a second
9: and a first. That's a decent points haul for the weekend. Well, first, John, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, it's, it's awesome to get to hear your voice and get to chat with you. And yeah, Road America went uh, it went to plan. It was good, you know. Uh, plan? You don't tell me you first. have a plan going into a Porsche Carrera Cup
1: North America weekend. It's sometimes it seems seems like it's just survival,
9: to be honest. It is some crazy racing, um, you know. <laughs> with my background in Formula Car racing, I have to say. Uh, you can do a lot more door-to-door racing in a Porsche Career Cup car, yes. so uh, I think we're giving the fans what they pay for.
1: Paul, you mentioned your your single-seater career. You've raced at Road America. I mean, fabulous place, one of my absolute favorite places to go. And the responsible adult Eve, it was the first track that she went to on our American Odyssey when uh, when we first, when she first went over there, and I, I think it's one of her favorite areas as well to to be honest but it hadn't been kind to you in your formula career so you kind of got the monkey off your back this past weekend
9: yeah big monkey off the back um I've always been quick at Road America it, it's probably one of my favorite tracks in North America um I love Wisconsin I love the people and then they put the one of the best four mile tracks you could come up with uh, dead smack there in Elkhart Lake but no wins there in formula cars i 've had polls i 've had many good races, but uh, to get that first win was was pretty special on the weekend
1: we We mentioned how competitive it is there and it is a brand new car this year so in some ways, does that reset everything there 's a lot of big teams with a lot of huge a huge amount of experience in the previous Porsche. GT3 Cup Challenge but with a new 992 car is 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 that almost
9: like a reset this season Yeah I mean I would have to say um I've been through car launches in my career in various different series and anytime you you even the playing field with a brand new car all the teams have to learn the little tricks that make the car uh, the car tickle and go fast so this 992 is no exception it is uh an amazing machine um the biggest difference I think from the the 991.2 just the addition of ABS for the pro class yeah. and and the ABS system that is on this car is unbelievable. Um, I hadn't had much experience with ABS in Formula cars, but I mean, let's look at Road America. I'm literally braking 100 feet deeper in the Career Cup car and we're approaching what? turn five. We're approaching turn five at probably 15 mile an hour more.
1: Wow. And, and that's a downhill braking, braking area as well. That is tricky. And there's, there's a, a surface change there now. As well, yes. and, and it's giving you that much confidence.
9: It is ridiculous. Now, I, I will say it's. I, I make this joke a few times on the weekend because uh, in formula cars at Elkhart Lake, uh, you know, there's 14 turns, but really, in a formula car, there's only about 10 because there's some corners you just completely disregard. Yes. The kink turn seven, even turn 13, where <laughs> uh, the probably the the hairiest corner in a cup car is the kink so there's there's obviously differences with the weight and everything but the abs with the braking is just it's it's almost insane you know it's and and the lap times
1: the lap times that are going in are never mind gt4 cars g t three starting to get up to to, to that kind of of level. I think you are only a second or a couple well, a couple of seconds away from g t three now we haven 't seen the new nine nine two in any of the its other geysers from Porsche Motorsport yet, but i'll tell you what that 's a mouth watering prospect. Uh, I also was told and you can tell me if this is true um, by dr daniel ambruster whose, uh whose replacement Volker Holtzmeier, was in fact waving the Green flag he'll take over at the start of next year as president and CEO of of, uh, Porsche Motorsport North America. But Dr. Ambruster told me at the start of the season, all of the drivers and teams had to be told to be careful because there were no replacement shells for the new 992 in the US. Basically, 20-odd of them got sent across and that was it.
9: Well, and it's – I mean, listen, Porsche has done a fantastic job releasing the car. There's, there's no doubt about that. But when you look at um, – I don't know if you, you tuned into Supercut, but they had a pretty <laughs> giant crash at Monaco yes. for the first round. Yes, I saw um, it. So there's – unfortunately, their parts were on a shortage. And, and even now, they're kind of siphoning down how much parts teams can buy, right? right? Um, so you actually, for our break program, they're kind of evening the playing field by saying to the team's With the ABS, this car eats up brakes, and they've said to all the teams, we're just going to let everybody buy brakes kind of as needed per race event. Nobody can stock up. Okay. So, yeah, you're 100% right. They were in a a giant shortage, and I think that's part of the reason, and I I don't know the exact reason, but part of the reason we aren't doing standing starts um, was at Sebring, they didn't have any replacement drive shafts.
1: Right. So I don't think we've... Well, none of the the... Cup class before ever did standing starts. They were always rolling starts. But you're right, Super Cup does do standing starts, doesn't it? Of course. I'm I'm trying to think what happens at Carrera Cup that I've done uh, in the the rest of the world. Uh, Carrera Cup Asia does standing starts. UK, GB at least, when when I did Carrera Cup GB, that's a few years ago. Yeah, they did standing starts as well, yes. So that's a good point. I hadn't even thought of that.
9: Yeah, we are the only series that is actually uh, utilizing rolling starts, which, I mean, it it makes sense in a form of IMSA racing. IMSA racing is all rolling starts. But if that junior, um, at the end of the year, there's about seven or eight of us um, Mm. that are competing for becoming a Porsche junior, obviously not having a standing start experience. Um, The only standing start experience I have is uh, the Formula Ford Festival. (laughs) Oh, yeah. With Team Canada. Yeah, so very much. that'll be a bit of a, a learning curve. How much of a
1: draw, an incentive for a young driver, a young career-minded driver like yourself, Parker, is, are the changes to Carrera Cup North America this year? Number one, it means pro drivers. Number two, a, that junior category on Michelin tyres as well, of course, which levels it all up to the other Carrera Cups around the world. And the opportunity to go and compete for that Porsche Junior title later this year over in Europe. How how much does that influence your thinking in going into what is not an inexpensive way of going racing?
9: Yeah, um, it it was the the final decider, really. Um, Mm. I think that, IMSA and, and Porsche have done a great job. It's been an, over a decade, they've been trying to develop the Carrera Cup North America series. Um, and it was, it was very cool to get the call with, with the help of Porsche Canada. You know, we've worked really hard this off season to, uh, to get the budget, to, to give to JDX, to have a proper program this year. And, and, you know, we're still, we don't test the much <laughs> as much as the, the big teams, but I think we're punching well above our weight, doing what we can. And it's, I'm proud to be here because of what the series has done and it's pretty cool, John. I mean they've the phone calls I've received this year after our win in Coda and now this week after our win in Road America, you know, people are, are truly paying attention to this series. And I can't say it was the same when it was the Porsche challenge um back in twenty nineteen yeah. when I raced it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I I I've gotta say I wasn't sure which way it would go because I loved the the Carrera uh, the Porsche GT three cup challenge. And i loved I actually did like the spread of drivers there, some young drivers, some older drivers still enjoying their their motor racing and and i 'll be honest i i wasn't sure there'd be enough interest in the top class, and we've got twenty odd cars i mean extraordinary, extraordinary stuff, so fair play to everybody they they judged it. Absolutely, correctly. I've got to tell you, though, you've jumped into the shark pool here at the sharp end of the field. Yourself, Kai von Berlow, uh, his Kelly Moss Road and Race teammate, Seb Prio. You've got Maxwell Root uh, as well. Uh, Riley Dickinson for Team Hard Hardpoint EBM. Uh, your teammate, Sean McAllister, um, not had the didn't have the best weekend last weekend, Sebastian Carazo had a horrible weekend, another Kelly Moss Roden Race driver um, that's, a, that's a fairly stout crew and that's just the juniors in the broadcast. then you've got the wily character that is Lee Keane, you've got TJ Fisher, you know all of those guys who know their way around circuits and are going to be
9: competing for the overall Yeah and you know just to mention him too, I, I think he deserves a mention but to use him as an example, you know, you've got a guy like Dylan Murray who's yes. very uh very well known in Michelin pilot, won multiple races, um, was considered kind of you know the up and coming American, I think, in sports car racing.
5: Yeah.
9: Now, you know, I'm not sure exactly where team BGB is at, but at the same time, you know, it is a tough category. When you have a guy like Dylan Murray finishing, you know, ninth and tenth, yeah. um, it's in all my years of racing, I, I think, um, you know, 2018, I raced against Renus VK and Oliver Askew and Indy Pro, mm-hmm. and there was a bunch of guys um, from Europe. I think this is possibly the most competitive group uh, that I've raced against. You know, you've got, like you said, the, the Wiley Coyote and in in Lee Keen. Um, he's taught me a few lessons this year about racecraft with ABS, particularly <laughs> Sebring.
1: <laughs> yeah.
9: Yeah. He makes that car as wide as he can. So there's. There's a ton of competition, and it, it's funny. You let your guard down for one second, and you know, forget a win. You're, you're off the podium. You, there is no easy top five, I think, in this field, because um, as soon as you mess up one corner, and it's really interesting too. My background with Formula Cars versus this uh, this nine nine two with the Michelin tire. You know, in qualifying, you've got two laps. I would I would argue you have one complete lap where the tire is in its operating window. And it's the fastest it's ever going to be. Yeah. And if you make a mistake, there is no getting that lap back. And that's no. not like formula car racing in a lot of the times. With no. the car, as light as it is, you kind of get two or three kicks at the can. Um, but qualifying in Carrera Cup is like nothing I've ever driven. Wow. So real pressure. I've got to ask you about that, and we'll, we'll, we'll let you go after this,
1: because uh, uh, it's, uh, it's been great having you. Um, but we know you've got pressure on your time. Thank you for, for joining us to talk about the, the uh, Carrera, Porsche Carrera Cup North America uh, presented by Visit Cayman Islands. Uh, stepping into GT racing from, from single-seater racing, was that a difficult decision? Was it a pragmatic decision? And, and what drove you, pun absolutely intended, what drove you to that decision? What were you taking on board? Did you just feel that, that, that the... Well, I'll put words in your mouth. What, 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 what made you make that decision, Pat?
9: Well, John, it's actually an interesting story, and uh, somebody you know very well, Jeremy Shaw, <laughs> was a huge part of this, actually. Um, so I'll tell the full story and I'll be fully transparent about the mistake I made and then coming back and getting a second shot because it's JDX Racing and I have a a, a unique story. Um, Jeremy Dale, team owner of JDX Racing, he's the JD in the team. He uh, actually connected me – well, Jeremy Shaw connected us um, and this was in 2019 when I didn't have a full season ride in in – on the road to Indy, which yep. is the IndyCar Ladder Series. Connected with them. Um, I got a one-off race at the Grand Prix of St. Petersburg. And that one-off race, I went and won both the Indy Pro yeah. races at the Grand Prix of St. Pete. And Jeremy Dale at that time had just lost his – what was going to be his kind of lead guy on the team um, for I'm not sure whatever reason. And anyways, he ended up putting me in the car for one race at Barber. My first time ever in a, anything with a roof over my head. And we went out and got two podiums my first time in a, a 991.2 car, and that kind of started our relationship down the path. That year I didn't have budget for the sports car stuff, and I was still – you know, I was determined to, to keep the open-wheel dream alive with my career path. So we did one-race deals all the way up until I made a mistake of uh, my Formula Car team uh, got a test at Mid-Ohio. And I had to miss the first day of practice at Watkins Glen for oh. the twenty nineteen yeah. Porsche challenge. And Jeremy, you know what? It hindsight's twenty twenty, he made the right decision. He said, Parker, you can't do that. And uh, he released me from the team. Right. And that was when I was driving the Hertz car. Yeah. And that was That was you a know, competitive drive.
1: Fast. That people was people should understand it was a very competitive drive.
9: It was. Um, and at that time, I was still struggling to, to piece together an open wheel season, and it ended up being okay. I, I finished third on the year with Able Motorsports, but as you know, John, with the Road to Indy stuff, if you don't win, there's no mm. scholarship for third. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I was left in 2020 with, again, struggling to raise budget, and it, it just got to the point where um, I felt like my talents in open wheel, not that they weren't recognized, it's just there's only two manufacturers in IndyCar, and even mm-hmm. at that, I generally don't get the sense that those manufacturers are hungry to find drivers and help fund them. And really, I think in motorsport, that's where the money is. Um, so in reflection in 2020 after COVID, I'm going, you know, where do I want to race? And it's kind of, it's taken me three years to truly fall in love, I think with, with sports car racing. But now, um, I look at sports car racing. Once you learn about it as a driver, it's, it's almost even more exciting. And at the end of the day, uh, to get paid to go and compete on Sunday and, and yeah. to compete for wins, yeah. that is the end-all be-all. Um, so I couldn't be happier. I called Jeremy Dale, uh, and we had talks in the off-season last year, and he said, okay, if you're going to do this with us, you know, no more uh, skirting off to go do the Formula Car stuff. You'd be committed to Commit- us. And I yeah. said, you have my word. Let's go uh, compete for a championship. So there you have it. That is the story of – Yeah, I wouldn't say giving up. I would say actually just realizing that – You know, I want to make a career out of racing and you need that manufacturer support. And then all of a sudden you learn about all these cool races, you know, Daytona, I've been to the last couple of years, but Lamar and the Nürburgring 24 hour, you know, these are some of the, I would say the the hardest races in the world to win, you know. Don't get me wrong, the Indy 500 is hard, oh, of but course. yeah. You, you need more than luck in some of these 24-hour races. Parker,
1: but I'll tell you what I've told people who have asked me this question down through the years, from both within the sport and, and outside the sport. If you are a manufacturer-supported driver, it doesn't matter whether you're driving a GT4, a GT3, a GT Le Mans car, or a prototype car, or indeed you're driving in Formula 1, or IndyCar, or anywhere else. If a manufacturer has selected you and is paying you to to drive for them, you're the best of the best. Because it's not even just about the driving, it's the whole package. And for you to realise that and be sensible enough to say, I think I've got a better shot at grabbing that ring by doing sports cars, and particularly by throwing your lot in with Porsche in the the Carrera Cup North America, presented by Visit Cayman Islands. More power to your elbow. More power to your elbow. So, right, last question. Tim's already telling me about time here on Midway Motorsport. (laughs) Um, So, championship, go to Europe, take on the the best of the best from everywhere else and end up as a sports car driver uh, for Porsche, get the overalls, and then go off and win Le Mans. So, yeah, pretty simple, eh?
9: That's kind of where my head's at. And <laughs> you know what? I, I want to comment on it too, John, because you, you nailed something on the head, which is there is no buy-in to being a manufactured driver. Excellent. And, and that's something that really motivates me and, and it intrigues me more when I look at, you know, and I'm not going to dock IndyCar. There's many talented drivers in the IndyCar field, but the barrier to entry in IndyCar is bringing the money to yes. go racing your first couple of years. Yes. Whereas, you know, to become a Porsche driver, don't get me wrong, you, you have to raise the money. But uh, with what I've been able to do with JDX this year, you know, it's, it's not out of touch for anybody. You know, mm-hmm. we've worked hard off the track to raise the budget all of ourselves. And mm-hmm. we're winning races and, and showcasing we can compete. Um, so to get back to that point, I think sports car, sports car drivers getting paid by manufacturers are really, they are the pinnacle of motorsport.
1: Good for you. Good for, and we can, we can only wish you all the best. Um, couple more events before the end of the year. Two triple headers in the Porsche Together event at Indianapolis, right on your doorstep. So that's a probably stay in your own bed for that one. That's fantastic. It and is. then, and then, <laughs> yeah. and then to end the season at Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta, probably with a championship on the line. Three events again there. Um, opportunity. If you win the championship to go to the the beautiful Cayman Islands as well, that's part of the the championship package. Um, We can only wish you the best for that. We know how tough it's going to be. Keep doing what you're doing, Parker. Enjoyed the races at the weekend. I thought you drove uh, particularly well this weekend. Uh, Actually, even coming second, I thought you drove well. Clearly, you you absolutely dominated the the second uh, race uh, this weekend. And, you know, keep it clean and hopefully we're talking to you again by the end of the season
9: awesome john thank you so much and uh thanks to all the listeners too you know i've been a, a huge fan of yours actually for the last three years of uh transition into sports cars. so great to finally get to talk to you
1: good to have more new talent coming into sports cars parker thank you very much indeed uh, parker thompson from JDX Racing, a second and a first in the Porsche Carrera Cup North America, presented by Visit Cayman Islands at the weekend, and of course we'll have more coverage of the last six rounds of that over on our sister servers, Imza Radio via imsaradio.com. dot com. Tim Gray, where would you like to go next? Uh, well,
2: in a moment, I'd like to go to Belgium and join uh, Ben Constan- Jewess, who is going to be taking us through. Uh, the Ypres rally cuz so we haven't spoke to Ben for a while about rallying, so there's a bit to catch up on but what's happening hasn't on twitter
1: there hasn't been a rally since um Estonia
2: but <laughs> we didn't talk about Estonia
1: we talked about it beforehand
2: yeah we haven't talked, about, talked it about, about it since it. i, I oh, no, okay. couldn't tell you who won
1: what's happening on twitter um Wicca Bill enjoying what Lockley, uh lucky said lucky said uh, he said, uh, "I like the attitude. We all have troubles in life, but as we only ever project the best, we do take a look at Facebook holiday snaps, new cars, dinners, parties. No one projects career, personal, or mental struggles. Um, a lot of people liking Parker Thompson uh, as well. Uh, uh, we've got uh, she Adams was she Adams was listening to it, uh, and of course the the Canadian connection." As well, and uh, a lot of other people saying he's a good man, he is a good fella. I spoke to him quite a lot actually uh, earlier on today when we were setting that up. And thanks to Tom Moore as well for setting that up, and to uh, two partner for coming on uh, from Indianapolis uh, at Speculation, I suspect I'm gonna, uh, responsible adult, can we have some overtime, please? Yes, we can.
2: Can have overtime. We'll need that because, as uh, while we're waiting for Ben to join us, uh, I'm going to tell you about some things happening this weekend uh, because Sunday is Test Day. Yes. Yes, uh, and we are the only place doing live coverage of Test Day again.
1: Haggerty Radio Le Mans once On again.
2: Haggerty Radio Le Mans, and uh, a slightly different Test Day uh, this year because it's bigger.
1: Well, it's longer. It's longer. Certainly, than, uh,
2: yeah. Well, It's not got any less wide, so therefore it must be bigger.
1: Mm. Uh, well, yeah, yes, I suppose. I suppose you're right. Uh, Seven forty-five UK time for an eight o'clock on track start, and we go an extra hour into the gloaming, at least, uh, uh, of French time uh, as well. Uh, with uh, 2 o'clock till 7 so 5 out. It's normally 4 and 4, isn't it? It is not it And this yes. year it's, it's... This
2: year it's 4 and 5.
1: 4 and 5, right, OK. yeah. And
2: special programme during the lunch break uh, between, in UK times, 12.05 and 1 o'clock, which will be at 1.05 to 2 o'clock French time. What is hypercar?
1: Yeah, we'll be leaning on the expertise of our colleagues at Race Car Engineering, Stuart Mitchell. Uh, and editor Andrew Cotton will be joining us for that. That kicks off our Le Mans programming week um, on RS1, which becomes Haggerty Radio Le Mans for uh, the week. Uh, The Responsible Adults uh, has asked me to uh, mention uh, a couple of things. Uh, It's the start of a week packed full of special shows, features, and, of course, live coverage of every session of this year's 24 hours. Live free without interruption. And we've expanded the coverage this year with more hours of shows coming from across the RSL family that take in the history of the race, put the current new regulations in context and, with a bit of look, offer some technical analysis of the new global prototype vision shared by the ACO and IMSA. Now, our core team this year will be broadly the same on Haggerty Radio Le Mans, but we'll be introducing some new voices as welcoming as well as welcoming back some old friends. Now, I know that many of you may have been planning to attend the race this year and that's been horribly disrupted by the uncertainty in travel. Hopefully... And what we're going to try and do is bring some of that Le Mans spirit and atmosphere to you wherever you are in the world. Now, as well as Haggerty Radio Le Mans broadcasting all week to everybody everywhere on RS1 via RadioLeMans.com, those of you in North America can tune into our Saturday and Sunday coverage live on Sirius Channel One Three Eight XM Two or Two. We're back with them uh, at the moment as well. Given the restrictions on movement, working within the circuit, particularly in the pit lane and in in consultation with the ACO, we are not able to operate from the track this year. However, that will not affect the broadcast schedule in any way. We know that there are still a few intrepid Brits and English speakers who will be venturing over. You're very important to us and to the ACO. Obviously, you'll be able to listen on your phones, and with far fewer people there, I wouldn't expect the internet to be very loaded at all in race week, but we are working with the ACO, to try and make sure that 91.2 FM is still in operation on site. We'll keep you posted on that as it develops on at Radio Le Mans. Use the hashtag Haggerty from now on and we'll be on the collective as well. So that's what's going. It all starts on Sunday. Very excited about some of the special shows that we've got. Oh, yes. As uh, you, well.
2: you mentioned the full range of uh radio show limited talent we are certainly uh pulling people out of the cupboard that we haven't uh heard from <laughs> for a while Stuart Mitchell from race car engineering is uh on three Full, or yes, four different yeah. uh shows we'll have yeah. uh more from Andrew Marriott including I believe a live uh Marriott's memories on Friday is that is, that, uh, is it Friday was a different day
1: uh, no, it will Friday. Friday there is some track action, but it's not being covered um, anywhere by TV, so that makes it rather difficult for us to do. Um, but we've decided we're going to have a bit of a an all fun Friday, and so we'll have some serious programmes on there. Marriott Andrew has his book coming, and we want to talk about that and have a Marriott's Memories part two. Uh, we're waiting for the attorneys to to make sure we've got coverage. Uh, for that after last year. If I particularly want it, to exactly hear all making.
2: the stories that aren't going into the book, because I can buy the book ask in October when it's out. I'll ask him. But I'll ask him. All the bits that didn't make it, that's... No,
1: I'll ask him. I'll probably ask him.
2: what the lawyers are scared about, but I think it's what the listener wants to hear.
1: A panel of lawyers are being assembled for um, full-front... I'm going to call it Full f- Fun Friday on Haggerty. Full-frontal fun. You could possibly play with Andrew. You, you, you never know. Um, so plenty going on as well. Of course, we're the only broadcaster who can promise you that every single session that the twenty-four hour cars are on from the test day all the way through to the checkered flag will be covered live. Nobody else can do that. There's no other test day coverage, and nobody else is covering the first free practice. So, um, and that's when I say nobody, I mean no one. Right, it's coming up at ten o'clock. That's telecom. not just should... in English,
2: is it? That's anyone at all. Uh, well, there's,
1: there's there's no TV cameras up for the first session, um, and there's there's not full TV coverage until Hypercar. In fact, full track coverage until Hypercar. Hyperpool, Paul. during the week. Yeah, Hyperpool. Um, check this. Check the website for for details of our live session. We'll fill in the gaps. Um, we'll fill in the gaps uh, f- with our feature programmes as we get them. Uh, as we get them sorted. Uh so we're going to be quite well into um overtime tonight. I've heard that Ben is standing by, but before that oh I think we have to do a little bit of sad news Tim. Uh
2: we'll leave the sad news for the end I think. Oh, okay. And uh I'm going to tell you about on the grid tomorrow. Uh because if you listen to last week's on the grid they talked about uh the places they would like to go to. Um and gave their top five dream motorsport venues. And this week, they're going to do the top five motorsport venues that they've already been to and loved. So that's On The Grid tomorrow night at nine here on RS1.
1: Time now to catch up on all things WRC. It's the uh, another new event for this weekend. Ypres, Belgium, Ben Constantius joining us. He'll be commentating uh, over the weekend. Hello, Ben. How are you? Hello, very well, thank you. Had a,
8: had a weekend off, which was nice.
1: <laughs> I know, I, I had two weekends off recently and panicked massively that I'd forgotten something. It's really weird, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> and, for, and for one of those, I went to the Silverstone Classic and drove drove an old car, so I didn't feel yeah. so so bad, at least. I was at a, at a racetrack. Um, new rally, as I say, for the WRC, but we're back on tarmac. Um, probably much to the relief of Andrea Adamo for... A, Hyundai WRC. Um, let's let's start with with their drivers. Thierry Neville, still their lead driver in third position in the championship. Oytanak. Uh, and
8: potentially Chris Breen this weekend as well, the Irishman. Uh, chance for him to make a splash? Well, number one, let's not forget that the last time we were on tarmac, proper tarmac, uh, was Croatia. And yes. none of the Hyundai drivers were able to get a grips with the car. Now,
1: oh, the
8: uh, rally in Ip is incredibly different uh, in terms of character to what we saw in Croatia. That was uh, very, very sweeping, mountainous roads. Here we are stop-start junctions, um, very, very flat, not very mountainous at all. Um, uh, and actually the biggest characteristic of what for me is probably the most legendary rally that's never held a WRC event <laughs> um, is the cutting. Because there are lots of 90-degree corners and junctions, um, drivers like to cut, like to cut across the grass on the inside, uh, to shorten the corner, to round a corner, uh, and therefore drag a lot of rubbish onto the road for the following competitors. Meaning, if you are Sebastian Auger leading the championship and first on the road uh, on what will be Friday afternoon when we start properly, um, you have a massive advantage. Uh, So Craig Breen... Uh, usually would have a good advantage being further down the running order uh, on our gravel events where we clean the road and the road gets faster. Here, even though he's won the event before, um, in fact, he won the last event in an R5 car in 2019, uh, I don't think he's in a very good position. uh, Mm -hmm. And uh, he will be surviving uh, those first couple of days. Um, Oytanak, kind of middle pack. Even Thierry Neville has said he'll be third on the road. And he said, third on the road, considering the conditions that we're going to face, which are dry conditions on the road. It doesn't look like it'll rain, but it is going to be very, very wet off the road, off the tarmac, because it has rained so much and the ra- the ground is absolutely sodden. So you're yes. going to be dragging dirt and mud and grass. It's not going to be the dry that sometimes we see and therefore you don't get very much debris on the road. This is going to be messy.
1: Yeah, and and there is a bit of a low pressure forming uh, in the Atlantic about to sweep across the UK. And that may bring some uh, some precipitation uh, to the to the low countries. The, the other thing I do know about Ypres, because having been around that area quite a lot, actually, is, uh, yes, you can cut some of the corners, but there's quite deep ditches by the side of the road as well. So
8: any offs could be very, very time consuming for from, from any of the drivers. Yeah, you've got to be incredibly precise, that's for sure. And the, the recce will be very interesting because... Um, the Alan Panas who designs the rally has said he will not put any anti cutting devices around. So you will be looking in every ditch when you're doing the recce to see whether you can or can't cut, whether you can or can't run wide at particular corners. So a very, very, uh, a very, very individual um, rally, I think. And uh, especially as for the, usually it's a two day rally. Um, and they've added a third day, obviously to comply to WRC regulations. Yes. We, We do our shakedown on Friday morning. Don't make any mistakes because Friday lunchtime is our first loop. Friday night is our second loop. So we're going to have some night stages. Um, Then the whole of Saturday, we're around the area. Not very big liaisons, uh, very short road sections, back and forth. And then we have a huge liaison section uh, to Spa-Francorchamps for our Sunday where Stage one will be uh, on the s- second split of Spa, if you, if you uh, ah, know right. your circuit racing. Uh, and then this power stage um, will start just around the corner from Francochon Village itself. will come into the circuit, nice. we'll go uh, along the pit lane, uh, take in uh, La Source, go down through eau rouge up towards radion hairpin right at the top of radion which is then uh, onto the rallycross track and finish in what we now call the rallycross arena which you and i know is the media center car park um,
1: <laughs> oh no 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 ben ben now. you don't have the connections there i park in the undercroft all the time mate. Oh, eh. oh, right, oh, do- go, hey. yeah. i've still yeah, got yeah. a little pass somewhere I must get that <laughs> out for the next time next time that i go
0: there i
1: Given that we are on tarmac, who you know who would you normally favour? Um, you know, Toyota have been good on everything this year. Or, as you said, will, will start on what is a clean road. Elvin Evans will be behind him. Elvin
8: kind of really needs a result here, doesn't he? He really does because uh, he is the closest challenger, and let's potentially say the only challenger to sebastian auger taking another world title um this is auger's to lose uh i think Mm. that's pretty clear for me uh elvin will have a little bit of dirt and you know sebastian auger will also be thinking about if he's cutting he's slowing everyone behind him down so it's a bit like (laughs) Like. defending on a racetrack uh the more rubbish you can bring on the slower the other guys behind him goes so um you know, Calais is going to have a massive amount of momentum, having won last time out uh, in Estonia, a very different type of rally, though, here. Uh, and for that middle pack, where perhaps the conditions are going to be similar to each other, we're talking probably tenths of a second, yeah. because the stages are short. Tarmac rallies don't tend to have a massive variance unless we get rain. Yeah. Uh, so if we keep the conditions pretty constant, then it could be very tight, I think, around the podium positions. But ultimately, for me, Unless Sebastian Ogier makes a mistake, and does he ever, uh, I think there's nobody better to, to, to take another victory. Local knowledge, though, is, could be a factor, and Seb has never done Ypres. Oh, really? Not even as a national? That's interesting. A couple of drivers who are dra-
1: changing core drivers to get some, uh, to get some local knowledge. Uh, I, I think Gus
8: Greensmith has swapped uh, his core driver, hasn't he? Uh, Gus has been with Chris Patterson for the last couple of rallies. Chris Patterson's wife uh, is Belgian. Um, and ah. so they have experience around the area. In fact, Chris has done it with many different drivers uh, in the past because it's a bit of a favorite of the the British rally scene for their you know weekend away, if you like a bit like Spa-Francorchamps for circuit races. Um, yep. Ypres is what an hour and a half from the tunnel. So, uh, very, very easy for the British contingents to go over. And therefore, you see a massive, massive entry. In fact, there is a massive entry for the EAP World Rally Round anyway. Um, and so, yes, you're right. Gus has never done it before, but he's leaning heavily on Chris Patterson uh, and his knowledge. The other change co-driver-wise is T- Takamoto Katsuta yeah. will have Keaton Williams alongside him because, uh, unfortunately, Dan Barrett is still recovering from that heavy landing that put them out of Estonia and, and fractured uh, Dan's uh, lower back. And so, much like Elvin had two years ago, Elvin yeah. Evans fracturing his back on a bump. Uh, unfortunately, Dan's got the same thing. Who's the other Ford this weekend? Have we got four more back or is it Oh Sydney? yes. So so if if road position wasn't such a thing I'd be really excited about Adrian Formo. Yeah. Uh, he we've got um and back in WRC2. Right. So Adrian is back in the the full full blown car and he is uh he's comes from a tarmac uh, place, he, you know, when you look at how many rallies he's done, he's not done very many at all anyway, but of those the French championship is basically tarmac uh, and so he has experience on tarmac roads, mountainous roads more than these kind of flatlands. Uh, but i be excited to see how Adrian gets on with a Belgian co-driver alongside him as well.
1: Yeah, right. That's very, very smart. So your money clearly still very much on the man at the head of the standings, Sebastian Auger, the, the Frenchman, and let's hope Elvin gives him a run for his, his money. Thierry Neville on uh, home ground this weekend, but as Ben was saying there that slight could be slightly hammered WRC two this weekend I I do like those cars to be honest and I'm kind of hoping we get to see a bit a bit more of those Uh, that that championship uh, three drivers uh, at the top within what 15 points of each other 16 points of each other
8: yeah I mean the regulations are kind of tricky in WRC two scores aren't there there's drop scores, yeah, yeah, just to confuse things. Um, but uh, the entry's not big uh, for Ypres, for WRC2, really? which is in Rally 2 cars, but for manufacture-backed entries. Um, we've got Nikolai Gryazin uh, back, but in a Volkswagen Polo. Um, he has been in all kinds of things over the last couple of years. Uh, I think the Skoda is the last one I seem to remember him being in. Uh, so he's in a Polo. Then we've got two Fords uh, entered by uh, M Sport, Tom Christensen and uh, Timo Sunanen. And then we've got the brand new Hyundai i20 that's never, ever been seen before right. uh, in a rally. Uh, and Oliver Solberg, Yari Houtenen will be taking that to its first potentially uh, rally victory. So that's a big thing. Very, very exciting for Hyundai. It's not very far away from their kind of European base where the team is based um, which is actually near Toyota where, uh, in Cologne. Um, so a local rally for them. They're doing a big media thing on Monday uh, as well and uh, that's going to be a big deal. Whether they can win on their first time out, let's see, nice. but there's not a huge amount of competition out there in WRC2. In terms of the route, Ben, you
1: mentioned some of the, the highlights, obviously going to uh, Spa-Francorchamps Racetrack, although, that, as you say, that's a, that's quite a lot of road section. Oh, yes. Is, you know, is it fairly sensible or have we got one of those big days that is going to be, right, that's, that's the loop. That's the loop that, that's going to sort this out. Have you, You've had a good look at the route, I take it.
8: I think it'd be interesting for me, the longest, well, not the longest stage, but the second longest stage uh, in the rally is Kemmelberg. Mm-hmm. And that is driven at eight o'clock at night uh, on Friday evening. Now, eight o'clock at night shouldn't yet be fully dark, but it'll be kind of twilighty. Uh, you know, sun in your eyes kind of thing. Um, and, you know, it's a big stage, 23.6 kilometres. So that could be sorting the men from the boys. Um, that was supposed to be a TV stage, um, but for some reason it won't be. So oh, right. uh, all of the all the stages will be on uh, all live. But sometimes we make a, a, a special stage uh, to be offered to broadcasters. But that uh, isn't happening on on the Friday. Saturday is pretty standard. They're all you know, 25 kilometres, 12 kilometres, 12 kilometres, 7 kilometres repeated again. And yeah, I mean, we're going, we're going to go to, into Sunday, I think with a very established order yeah. and then we start drive. on Sunday, 10 to 5 in the morning. Well, yeah, because you've got to drive 350 kilometers from Ypres to, to spa Frankelshaw before <laughs> the 8.30 start and the tire fitting zone as well. So they'll do, right. they'll do the road section. They'll get to the paddock at Spa. They'll then have, I think, 15 minutes to uh, fit their new tires that they'll take, for just the first loop. So mm. for just 20 Ks, Stavelot one and Francochon one, then they'll go into another tire fitting zone, get some new boots and then do that, do that again for the last 20 kilometers uh, of the rally. So a lot of grumbling and groaning about uh, having to drive such a long distance for such a short I'd... amount of stages. It was supposed to be a lot longer. I should say this, that the, the, the Sunday yeah. loop was, was supposed to be much bigger, but that's the area of Belgium that's been heavily affected by the flooding. And so, all the stages have been modified, yeah. uh, some have been removed totally, uh, yes. and that's why we're in the situation we're in.
1: There was some talk about whether World Rally Cross and indeed this event would, would even happen given the extreme nature uh, of that, uh, that weather disaster from a few weeks ago, which is still being cleaned up in a, in a lot of places. For once, Ben, I presume you're going to be very happy not to be having to travel out to the stages
8: and sitting in your comfy commentary box instead, on well, particularly on Sunday. Let's see. I mean, Saturday, Friday and Saturday, I'm in a church in the middle of Ypres, so that's going to be great fun. Hopefully, they've got the soundproofing correct for the commentary box. Um, there is some rumour that on, there is also, oh, I forgot to say, there's also the world finals of the eSports WRC oh, yes. competition uh, on Saturday evening, which which I'll be hosting. So I don't know why I forgot that. Um, and uh, that's the 2020 edition. So actually that's from last year and all the, the top guys will be and on are, site. And are you back in, a... in the
1: church on Sunday for, for worship or have you got to move?
8: No, well, there's a rumour that there I might be needed down on the stages at Spa. And because I love Spa so much, it's actually my favourite circuit in the world, um, that they don't seem too fussed about sending me on a 350 kilometre road trip on my own, uh, basically to go and announce the podium. Uh, so, you know, you can't have a podium without a constant juror, so no, fair enough.
1: No, that's a fair point. Uh, just make sure <laughs> the helicopter trip is in your rider, mate. That's, that's all. Ben, thanks for being with us. Have a great weekend. I'm very envious. Will do. Thank you.
2: Uh, ben Costanjuris uh, there, who sounds like he's going to have a very fun weekend in Belgium.
1: It's hard not to have good fun on a weekend that in is, Belgium. That is very whatever true. You, whatever, you, whatever you're doing. And he's got a bit of driving to do, as he said, probably. Well, let's can, hope uh, they find
2: him uh, a seat in that helicopter. Because obviously they do use helicopters on the uh, WRC coverage. So, and the helicopters have got to go to the stage from the service park. So you never know. He might have to jump out of it, though.
1: I think because he's going to be there for the esports thing, the chopper pilot would have to probably wait too late for him to take him back. Mm. Uh,
2: we end with some sad news, unfortunately, and that is yeah. the death of veteran radio and television broadcaster Bob Jenkins, uh, who died on Monday, aged 73, after a fight with cancer. Uh, the voice of the Liberty of Indiana native was heard globally over five decades on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway radio network, serving several positions, including chief announcer from 1990 to 1998, one of only four people to serve as a TV commentator in ABC's 54-year history of broadcasting the Indy 500. Uh, He had a friendly style that mirrored his personality. The beloved and respected Jenkins anchored the IndyCar series races on television and was a frequent contributor to the public address system at Indianapolis. Also a frequent master of ceremonies at 500 related functions, including the Indianapolis 500 victory celebration. In one form or another, Jenkins was connected to IMS for more than 40 years and his most familiar call was the thrilling finish of the 1992 race between Alonzo Jr. and Scott Goodyear. But it was his first 500 in 1960, aged just 12, that got him into motorsport. And since then, he only missed two races. In 1961, when no one would take him, and in 1965, when he was on a high school trip. He came to the racetrack last year, Uh, sorry, this May, while fighting his illness to receive the Robin Miller Award, where he made a brief, poignant acceptance speech and was warmly received by a large group of friends and admirers from the racing community. A graduate of Indiana University, he turned his love of music into a job in radio, first as a news reporter and then as a co-anchor of the nationally syndicated farm news show Ag Day. But he'd attended Indiana dirt track races with his father and got his first motorsport job in 1979 as a backstretch announcer on the IMS radio network, alongside Paul Page, who with whom he later started the USAC radio network. Mm. Jenkins was a colon cancer survivor in the 80s and retired from television in 2012 to care for his wife, Pam, who had her own cancer battle. She died October 2012. In February this year, Jenkins revealed he'd been diagnosed with two malignant tumours behind his right temple following a severe headache at
1: Christmas. I like what he said. Um, he was a fan that got lucky. Yes. And I think that will strike a chord with so many people who do the jobs that we do Um yeah, all right, sometimes it's hard work, sometimes it's a pain in the water. But ultimately, we are we know that what we do, we are very fortunate uh, to do. And uh, it's, uh, to have had that kind of career and the outpouring of of much love that there has been for Bob Jenkins is, is fabulous. A life well lived and a job well lived done mr jenkins
2: among the tributes uh, roger penske said his announcing career spanned nearly 50 years to an entire generation the sound of bob's voice simply meant it was time to go racing the legendary voice became the soundtrack for the month of may our thoughts are with bob's family and his many friends throughout the racing community and beyond
1: legend of broadcasting uh, in motorsport in Indianapolis and beyond, Bob Jenkins, he died on Monday. And on Saturday, uh, another great loss to motorsport here in the UK and further afield. Um, The former BRSCC club and South Eastern Centre chairman, Bernard Cottrell, Bernie, passed away uh, on Saturday morning. Now, he started motorsport back in the 1970s, course marshal, And then in the 1980s, he was Chief Paddock Marshal at Brands Hatch. He progressed uh, through the sport with an encyclopedic knowledge to become a a clerk of the course and held an international air licence, the highest level in motorsport in the UK, and became senior official for series and meetings. Um, Think back to Super League, Formula, Lamborghini Trophy, British Grand Prix even, and most, I I think, probably most closely uh, uh, alongside uh, FIA uh, GTs and British GTs. Um, He was the permanent clerk of the course at national level for, uh, aside from British GT, Formula Ford, Caterhams, and in more recent times he was a Motorsport UK steward. I got to know Bernard many years ago. He he'd had a career in the city, and he was doing a lot of this as as many marshals and officials do, as a, as a sideline. Something that they they just loved. Um, I got to know him when he were, he became operations manager for Haymarket Exhibitions on a number of their trade shows. Obviously, the the racing car show at uh, at Birmingham, and uh, I I known him. Sort of more peripherally before then, but got to know him really quite well. And uh, he was just a cracking, cracking, cracking bloke. He had a very um, well-developed sense of humour. I can barely remember a time when he didn't have a smile on his face. I remember a particularly lovely time when he came to the Royal Albert Hall to watch some uh, indoor tennis uh, near the Christmas time. Uh, with Eve and I, and we just had a cracking day, and just told stories and laughed an awful lot. And when he got me involved on in the indoor motor racing at at Birmingham, I, I was saying, "Are you sure you want me to do this? Do you not, you know, do you not want somebody who's like, you know, Jeremy Clarkson or somebody like that?" And it and it was it was fab, it was great fun, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And he he made sure I was well looked after, like he did with everybody. I've really been very touched by... I never had to go and see him in the stewards' room, but I've been really touched by many drivers, both on the socials and some of the guys I've talked to as well, and they've said exactly the same, that when they were up in front of him as the beak, as it were, um, how he laid everything out, gave them that stern look, and latterly sometimes over the top of his glasses, and basically looked at them and said, you were a bit daft there, weren't you, lads? And quite a lot of people just said we couldn't, you couldn't argue with him because he was always right. It, it, and, you know, he was very fair with how he applied the, the penalties to everybody. He leaves a huge hole in British motorsport. He's been um, uh, battling cancer for a very, very long time. Um, his death ultimately was, was quite sudden. And I know it's taken everybody by surprise and all of us here at Midweek Motorsport pass on our very great condolences to his actual family and his broader motorsport family. There's a big gap in paddocks all away, all the way around the UK uh, now since Bernard has gone. And I really liked what the British GT did on Sunday. They had a minute's silence and then, as they said on their socials, a minute's silence for Bernard And then an afternoon full of noise, just as he would have liked it. Bernard Cottrell, who died on Saturday. Well, plenty into overtime tonight. Um, Thank you for staying with us. Big weekend coming up as we start our Haggerty Radio Le Mans coverage on Sunday, just before 8 o'clock UK time. Join us then, please, on RS1. If you didn't hear our two preview programmes, they're coming up next. If you've got other things to do, you can download them or listen to them when you want. Listen on demand. They're both already on the archive at radiolamon.com. Thanks to all of our guests tonight and particularly to Tim Gray, our executive producer up in London, for putting together such a packed show. Our responsible adult was Eve Hewitt. The Llama is getting excited because it's not Christmas, but it's nearly, nearly as good. It's Lamon Week. And it starts on Sunday. Good night.
0: This program is a radio show limited production. For more,
8: subscribe to Midweek Motorsport, wherever you get your podcasts.